Go ahead. You hit record. Up. Uh, all right. We're live. Yep. Yeah. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Three of Seven podcast. I tell you what, we have got actually the most famous guest that has ever been on the podcast. We have him in the house today, son. I have people look. Y'all watching YouTube? Y'all think that I'm famous? I have got. I have people that come up to me and ask me in public where they can find him. <laughs> that, that's no kidding. This ha- I'm, look. I'm down at the spring the other day. All right, filling up my water jugs. By the way, I hate this intro. <laughs> uh, hey, too bad, John. Uh, I'm down at the spring the other day, right? And this dude pulls up behind me. I'm filling up my water jugs. And, of course, I drive this, you know, FJ60 Land Cruiser. So everybody spots that vehicle everywhere I go. Here's this dude. Swings in there to the to the well. Hey, I recognize you. You got a YouTube channel, right? I'm like, yeah, yep. Oh, okay. Do you know where I could, uh, where I could find John Lovell? Cause I sure would like to meet him. I'm like, what the crap, man? Yeah. Here's his address. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we got Mr. John Lovell in the house, in the studio today. We're super thankful, man. I know you're a busy man. I understand what it what it's like to be busy. We all do. And for you to make time to drive over here and to sit down and and pour into our audience uh, and and to give me the opportunity to learn from you, that means a lot to me, man. You've been doing this a lot longer than I have. You you are crushing it, brother. And um and I, I, I'm going to selfishly take this opportunity today to learn some things for you or from you. And you guys that are watching, you just happen to, uh, to get to sit in on the conversation. So, John, thank you. Audience, you're welcome. Welcome back to the 307 Podcast. And we have Pope Chile. What's going on, Pope Chile? It's good to be back in the Vatican. We're glad you're here. We don't often have you know, guests I, in the I, back. Ne- I have never got to ask you, why did you authorize homosexuality? Oh, well. You know he did that a few weeks ago, I the, didn't, the I Pope. Did not, I did not You know didn't that. see that? Well, I a- didn't even know Chile was the Pope. Uh, it's, uh, what? This is an honor, your grace. I'm not Catholic, I'm not, but if... Well, I'm not either, but I... Are, get you I, I don't man, know what kind of genuflection know. I should have going on here. Don't worry about it. He won't judge you for it. He won't, okay. he won't judge you for it. So I, I just want to ask Chili while while we're getting into this, I want to start the first question off asking Pope Chili because it what's it been about three weeks ago, John? You didn't see that on the you didn't see that on the on the interwebs where the Pope oh it's made big news he signed off on homosexual marriage. The bishop mm-hmm. can okay. Why did you do can, that, Pope no, Chili? Well, well, first of all, since we do have a guest in here, I have to do this. Deem him, deem him, Pope Chili. Now. <laughs> Sorry about that, John. That's, right. <laughs> that's good. It's that's good stuff, man. Don't uh, he's not putting anything bad on you. He's giving you the good stuff, man. Now, as far as the the controversial news that you're talking about, I, I just want to make this quick. I didn't authorize it. Okay, that's a misconception in the news, as it always is. Everything's blown out of proportion with me. I just simply said that I would not condemn that, right? I didn't condone it. I didn't approve it. I just mm. said that we're, we're, we're backing off 
So you're just not condemning it, but you didn't well, actually. Right. It's not my. It's not the Pope's place to condemn, right? Pope, you understand, Pope Chile, I'm starting to think that you are actually just a politician and not a religious leader. What are you talking about? I'm starting to think that you're more like a politician and not a religious leader because that sounds like something a politician would would do. Do you stand for homosexual marriage or not? Well, what do you mean by stand? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of an important thing to define there. I mean, look, we're not... We are not condemning the action, but that doesn't mean we approve it. You understand. Okay. okay. Have you ever seen any crap like this, John? This is all a first for me. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> this happens every week. I, I, you know, I, I I didn't really think about this at all. I'm just kind of like, hey, Chad's my homeboy. I haven't been able to spend much time with you. We, Our paths have crossed real quickly here and there at an yeah. event or something, and that sucks because we're neighbors, man. We're neighbors. And so yeah. my drive was nothing to get here. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So this has been long overdue, and I've been waiting to hang. But I did not know His Grace would be here today, and so that that's new. Yeah, it's a real treat. You know, um, a lot of other podcasts, they, you know, they. I brought you a cup of coffee, which, you know. Cheers, thank you. But the real gift to you is you being, you getting to be here with the Pope. Yeah, I, I really came for the coffee, but I'm staying for the fake Pope. So fake whoa, 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 money. <laughs> whoa. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Did, he took off his hat, so I assumed the this Pope has all been a ruse. The Pope will only tolerate so much disrespect. Do you condone my disrespect, or, or do you just not endorse it? Well, I certainly do not endorse it. Okay. All right, very good. I wouldn't go any further than that at this we, time. We, we are full circle. I, the next question I have is actually... For Mr. John Lovell, you know, John, uh, I'm really in a dilemma here about this red dot that you can put on your pistol, okay? Mm. I'm back and forth about it, man. You know, Blake and I are going to compete in this tactical games competition in twenty this year, 2024. That's going to be like our challenge that we're doing for ourselves. I'm backing off on running. I'm going to lean into that. And everybody's talking about these red dots. And so I, I come in here, I'm talking to Blake about it the other day, and he says, well, John Lovell shoots a red dot on his pistol, so it must be good. It's end of story, actually. There's no more debate. I have done it. As soon so. as I saw it, I went and bought it. As soon as I seen yeah, you have he's, one. He's your biggest bought. fan, dude. You know, hey, thanks, man. He watches all your <laughs> YouTube good. stuff, and then he comes at me and tells me what gear to buy. And I'm like, how do you know what gear? Well, John Lovell's using well, that look, stuff, man. Well, I got to- it from someone else. I, I have no idea why I do it. No, just kidding. <laughs> you, uh, you need to watch a few more of his videos, Chad. After we, after we shot that competition on the range the other day. No, that was a yeah. That was I, I lost the competition <laughs> so, due to. But but I want to get into why have you and, and have you went to the the red dot, hundred percent of the time. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm full time red dot. Okay. So uh, almost all my pistols do have a red dot on them. I got a good bit of pistols. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm red dot for just about everything. Why did you make that switch from iron sights to red dots? So there's lots of pros to having a red dot on your pistol. There's even more cons. So I can rattle off a whole list of why you should not put a red Hmm. dot on your pistol. Absolutely. And so I'm sympathetic to that. Uh, I think... 
nothing's free in the sense that everything you do gets you something and costs you something. And so based on that cocktail mix of advantages and disadvantages, where do you personally land? For my part, even though I may rattle off a whole host of different cons to putting a red dot on a pistol, the big pro that will stand looming over like rock of Gibraltar over whatever disadvantages you list is it allows me to threat focus. Uh, I think, uh, you know, your normal reaction into high super stress environment, even though you may intend to uh, focus on that front sight, you're going to threat focus in in that horrible moment. Um, So uh, for that uh, effect, since you're already going to threat focus, if I could have a red dot, that materializes in front of me, just like we all universally accept now for a rifle, why not do it for a pistol? Uh, so the ability to threat focus is really, really crucial. There's a learning curve for it. Typically, uh, or when I first started with red dots, I hated it. I hated it for multiple reasons. Um, once I got better with it, those reasons really disappeared. And then when I started using it to in and around structures to clear near medium far and be able to latch on of like that red dot's like a pit bull once it's on i mean you you are on and so i love it uh but it, it's not perfect it, it costs me something too mm-hmm. what what are so i get that and just to explain i want to i want the listeners to understand what you mean by threat focus and the way that i take that is that you are fo- your 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 vision is able to focus on the threat, whether it be a a hostile person or a target or whatever whatever you're shooting at, your vision is locked onto that, and basically the red dot basically just uh, presents itself over the threat, right? right? Whereas with iron sights, I've got to look at my iron sights to see if they're lined up. Right. So my focus is going to be more on that front sight, on the iron sight, to make sure that it's lined up with my rear sight than it is on the actual threat or the target or whatever it is you're shooting at. Right. That's what you're saying, right? That's correct. Your okay. Eye, your eyes can only focus on one focal plane at a time. Yep. And so if I'm looking at my fingers, you just went completely fuzzy. Yep. Uh, I see this in great detail. You're fuzzy. And now when I shift to you, this is all fuzzy now as well. And so when you present a pistol, I have rear sight, front sight further away, and then the target much farther away. Yeah. So if I focus on my front sight, my rear sight is a little blurry, but it's still good enough that I can really line stuff up well, but the target's very blurry. Yeah. The question is, is in the horrible moment, that fight for your life, will you be able to abandon looking at the target and focus much closer mm. to that front sight? And I'd say the answer is a resounding no. You're right, man. And so uh, if you're able to focus on the threat and a red dot just happens to materialize on that red dot, uh, on that target, you can be able to press the trigger. Now, when I'm clearing rooms, if you ever get in a gunfight, it will be in and around structures. It's almost never out in open fields or something like that, like a range. It's in or around structures. And so when you're clearing uh, dead space around corners or behind the couch or in the deep corner, you're looking in that furthest away focal plane. You're not looking up close toward the gun. And so as I'm looking there and I present a gun, I never have to shift way close up to my gun to be able to make sure I have good sight alignment uh, based on that sight picture. I can just shoot my sight pictures, 
without having to worry about that alignment because it's already done by the red dot. Mm-hmm. And so that alone, uh, from a fighter perspective, is far superior. Now, red dot also will excel iron sights in a few other areas, and then it is definitely disadvantageous in other areas as well. So, uh, and I'm keenly aware of those. Man, th- that is a huge, huge advantage. Blake, did you already know all this, man? Yeah, man. Have you detailed this on a YouTube video before? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Blake, next time, send me that link to that video. I want to <laughs> watch. On, Bl- Blake, what? Uh, it's it's, it's got to come from the no, horse's mouth, that, John. No, that, that's a, that's a hu- that is a huge thing, man. That's yeah. a huge thing. And, and now training your brain initially, because I just sent my slide off to have my slide milled. I bought a Dan Wesson DWX to shoot this competition-style mm. stuff with, right? Uh, and I just sent my slide off to have it milled so I can put my red dot on there. When I train with this thing, what are some tips on getting my brain away from – because all I've ever shot is iron sights. What is some, how do I get my brain trained to focus on the target or the threat and just allow that dot to – present itself because i still feel like when i start shooting this dot i'm going to want to focus on the dot because i'm so used to focusing on that front sight when i present the weapon well you're going to be super squared away with rifle you know seals you're running rifles with red dots rangers we were too and so to be able to threat focus you're not supposed to look at the red dot when you shoot uh with a rifle you're supposed to shoot look at the target and the red dot is just on the target, but you look at the target, not at the red dot. Yeah. Same thing for pistol now. And so it's actually jumping back in that neurological pathway that you've spent years developing anyway. Shoot your sight pictures for pistol like you would for a rifle. Yeah. And you don't have to transition way up close to a rifle front sight. Yeah. Uh, you've just re- red dots do what red dots have always done look at the target. And press the trigger. Mm-hmm. Good to go. Now, the things that are difficult for people jumping into a pistol is, one, you have a lot more movement because your pistol isn't anchored to the pocket of your shoulder and cheek well. Yeah. And, so, and it's a smaller system. And so it moves just a little bit. So a lot of times when people present, they'll see a little shake of that red dot, which causes their shot, uh, shoot anticipation, shooter anticipation to skyrocket. And they're more likely to smash that trigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that... After just putting in some good training reps, typically that will start to just go away on its own. You just kind of get used to it, and that okay. expires. But the hardest thing is, is um, Ranger Battalion did not do a great job at teaching me how to really run a pistol. So when I got out, I'm like, hey, bro, I can shoot, I can fight, and I, I was good with all kinds of weapon systems. And then I picked up a pistol, and I assumed I was a lot better than I was, and I actually sucked. Yeah. I had to really work. I had to really learn a lot that I didn't get. Uh, one thing that I had to train was my uh, three-count draw stroke and presentation. And I had to really have a good number two. Number one is you index at the holster. Number two, you bring it into your workspace uh, and you and, uh, begin marrying up your grip. Or some people actually do the whole marriage of the grip. And then you drive out to your number three. Uh, now, if you don't have a meticulously indexed number two, and a uniform, consistent number three, then your sight alignment is going to be slightly different each time you present out, which means sometimes you see your red dot, and it's right there, and sometimes you don't see your red dot. Sometimes you're fishing for it in that window, yeah. And what is unacceptable to me is if I presented my gun very quick on target and I didn't see my red dot. That would be such a deal killer for me. 
Now, if you don't see your red dot, it's because something is broke with your draw stroke and presentation. And it's something that I can fix in a very short amount of time. I'll be able to show somebody what they're doing wrong, tell them how to train it, and then it's up to them to put in sufficient reps to be able to accomplish that. And it's not very hard. But when you present, you need to be able to drive your gun out in a split second and see your red dot every single time. Mm-hmm. And that's true for me. I, I see it every single time. Now, if I was shooting something like a competitive shooting stage or something or a drill and the targets were up close, I will be faster on target with iron sights. Okay. So if I was just doing a first round out of the holster, my iron sight would typically be faster. Really? Okay. Uh, absolutely. Because with iron sights, you can kind of fudge it. With a red dot, it's all or nothing. Yeah. I yeah. don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. I see it. And so I have to have everything locked in. Whereas if I'm just doing a real quick shot out of the holster, I can start to press the trigger even when my iron sights are coming into perfect alignment and I have some spatial understanding of what's there before my red dot appears. And so I've got a little bit of a point mm-hmm. one second head start with mm-hmm. the iron sights. Uh, also, if there's if I'm doing a transition, say I'm doing some Mozambique drill or I'm going two chest, one head, and then transitioning over, any bit of flex in your hands or movement in your shoulders can cause you during your transition to lose your red dot. That's not happening during my iron sights. Yep. And if it is, well, it's a little sloppy, but at close distances, it's still good enough for tactical accuracy, which is good enough accuracy of like, uh, shot for his heart, but instead of collapse his left lung. Exactly. I'm like, yeah. oh, screw it, whatever. Uh, iron uh, Red dots all or nothing. And so there's some learning curves that really, some most of it can be abated through lots of reps and good, perfect training, mm-hmm. which is what we, uh, which is what we teach and do. Uh, and some of it's just always going to be a disadvantage over iron sights. Now, where red dots will excel is distances of like that was going to be my next question. Oh, yeah, how, how have you? How, because I, you know, 80, 80, 80 yards with iron sights. When I get out of that, you know, past that eighty yards, usually when we run these accuracy tests, it gets pretty, it gets pretty nasty beyond that distance. So I'm interested in that. How far? How much further am I going to be able to? engage a target accurately with this red dot yeah this is different from everyone i got real bad eyes Uh uh, far out and so my particular eyes i would say if if i was doing like a steel challenge and everything was most of the stuff was inside 12 yards i'd really rather have some iron sights well not me because i shoot red dots so much and iron sights so little yeah but if i was just let's say i was shooting both a good bit my iron sights inside 10 12 yards would probably be better and if, uh, if the targets were mostly outside 12 yards, I'd rather have my red dot. Okay. Uh, my red dot will be better. It, think of it like a, a real stocky pit bull. It's a little bit slower mm-hmm. than some other dogs, but once it bites on, it is on there, and that's a red dot. I'm just not really going to miss uh, uh, with that red dot uh, with, with accuracy, particularly distances, which I really struggle with. Dude, I'm pumped about that then. Yeah. So it's just it's just going to be putting the reps in. I can do this dry firing essentially in my house, per, getting getting my draw stroke down to where every time I present it, that red dot's in the window, and then do and then doing enough reps that that just because that's just muscle memory that I, presentation. This was not natural for me. Ranger Battalion didn't set me up for this. I, I don't, you know, uh, SEAL teams did sufficient work and reps back when you were in. Uh, to be able to do it too. So if uh, draw present 
and, and start slow and work fast. And as long as you see your red dot at the end of that presentation every single time, you're good to hook. That's what you need. If to you're doing. struggling, just give me a buzz and I'll shoot down and okay, uh, or come up to my. I built a range on my property, so you need to come run a gun with me. I, I would I, love that, dude. Yeah, I would fun. love that. We got steel galore and like <laughs> dueling trees. Heck and, yeah, man. Yeah, super fun. So. Talk about an awesome YouTube video. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. Me let, and John on the range. Yeah, man. Head yeah. to head, John just smashing me in the freaking dirt, man. Yeah. <laughs> we probably can't. Uh, <laughs> Promote that as a competition. <laughs> oh, no, no, we no. definitely could. <laughs> Just be for fun, you know? <laughs> so, we love playing horse. We, lo- we love playing horse on the range. Like, yeah. you know, I'll pick a – I'll set up a stage. Obviously, I'm going to make a stage that, that plays to my strengths and, you know – you beat me at it, well, then it's your turn to pick, and we yeah. just go head to head to head and, until somebody becomes a horse, you know? Yeah. This joker right here, I beat him three st- three stages straight, and then he comes – he's a H-O-R. He comes back after that and, and beats me five stages <laughs> in a row mm. to just cr- – but mm, but you should have stopped early, bro. The, well, you the thing is, early. if you know, it's a huge advantage if you get to pick first because yeah. you're going to pick things that play to your strengths. So, as long as I don't beat you on one of your picks, yeah. there's a good chance that you're going to keep the ball rolling. But if I beat you on one of your stages, well, then this joker starts picking stages that play to his strength. Yeah, and it's it's nothing but just sprinting. Yeah. Sprinting, and he's so skinny and weak right now. He can sprint and uh, just just runs. Well, I also retain all of my gear when I get to the target. Well, that's another thing. Yeah. Uh, we won't go into that. Whatever. <laughs> uh, no, good word on the red dot. So I got the. I'm gonna mount the Trigicon SRO. I liked that one because it had a large window. Yeah. And, and this is a competition gun too, so I don't. It, it is a bigger optic. The SRO is a just in terms of size is a bigger optic, but that didn't matter to me on this particular gun. So you run the Hollow Sun I do, on yours. I do. So this is we have a, a Warrior Poet pistol. Yeah, it's a Shadow Systems, and they have it in different uh, sizes. So like a Glock 17 size, that's a DR920. Then the Glock 19 sized, it's an MR920. This is a CR920, and so it's comparable to like a Glock 43X, and it's got a miniature Holosun on mm. it. So it's a very small window. Uh, it doesn't matter for me whether it's a big window or a small window. Mm-hmm. I've got a real meticulous presentation. I see my red dot every time. doesn't matter uh, for me. If I was running a competition, well, I want a bigger gun with a bigger window because I don't care about concealment anymore. So I would do what you did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but for EDC, I, I want... Smaller gun, more comfortable, and a uh, smaller window. Uh, and I, I, I'll carry a bigger gun, like I'll carry the MR920, which is the bigger brother of this, um, with a spare mag on it if I'm going out anywhere where it'd be a little bit more dangerous. Whenever i got my family with me, I have another mag caddy over here. And mm-hmm. so I have multiple EDC pistols. When I'm alone, I'm kind of hometown, and I'm coming to see you. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to have a shootout at the OK Corral somewhere in, in, in the in-between. Uh, and so I'll dress down uh, to be really, really comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so, You know, I, I'll tell you what, John, speaking of that and moving off the topic of the red dot, um, I love the way that you are challenging your people to, to be armed. Yeah, so man. it's it's really interesting. I, the story of me at the spring, 
uh, filling up my jugs and somebody asking me how they could meet you, that's a real story. There's another occasion where someone else came to the spring and he follows you and has ran into you in town before. And the guy, he's talking to me and he says, you know what, man, every time I see John, he, he, he asks me, are you carrying? Yep. And I'm, and he's, he's like, every time John asked me that, I'm like, dang, no, man, I don't have my gun on me today. Yeah. I really love that you are confronting people about like, because how else are you going to, to like, prompt them to maybe think about carrying their weapon for yeah. real? Like, not just saying I carry a gun, but, like, actually carrying one. Yeah. And that really stood out to me. You, I think you doing that to that guy, it made an impact on him, man. Good, good. It really made an impact on him because he had to respond. Like, you called him out. I did. Not to be mean, but, nope. like, you called him out. Like, I do it nice. Are you carrying a gun? And he's like, no, John, I'm not. I do that regularly. and I, uh, I love that, uh, man. And, and particularly, I'll do it when we're in uh, gun-free zones. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we just went to downtown Atlanta, and we saw, for my birthday, a Cirque du Soleil performance. I love Cirque du Soleil. Uh, this was the Echo performance. Really, really fun. I've seen a bunch of these shows. And so my whole family was with me and uh, ran into some fans at various places. And so, I don't know, multiple folks, but every single one of them that asked me, I'm like, well, are you carrying? Uh, and some of them were like, uh, well, no, you're not allowed to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm not admitting right here on record that I did or I did not. Uh, whatever, but I'll say, hey, 96% of all violent encounters or um, active killer events happen in gun-free zones. So 96%. Tactically speaking, functionally, practically speaking, if one was to look at those statistics and surmise, wow, um, it would be better if I only carried in gun-free zones (laughs) and nowhere else, that would actually be able to preserve life. Now, you'd have legal considerations there and i'm not telling anyone to break the law but i'm saying practically speaking Mm -hmm. by the statistical laws there someone who is really adamant to defend life might come to that conclusion and then they'll point to metal detect there was guys there with metal wands Mm. and stuff and they i watched them and i'm like these guys are doing a pitiful job and i have my own way of being able to um do things and i walked right past those Mm -hmm. guys See you guys. And I, as a good protector, was there at this event. Um, uh, yeah, uh, doing my thing. Yeah, yeah. And so, anyways, I was able to ask those guys. Now, one of the, I guess, four or five fans that knew me when I was there, uh, one of them was carrying Outstanding. There. He made man. it through the metal wands, mm-hmm. and I'm like, Outstanding. All right, th- there you go. There you I, go. I love that you're challenging your 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 people to do, to do that, and you're confronting them about it. But you know what that tells me? It tells me you actually care. I do. I you're, you're not you're not just doing this just to be a cool guy on on YouTube or, or what. You actually care. I do because there's no other reason you would confront someone in that manner and, and ask them, "Hey, man, okay." You follow me? All right. Are you carrying? Are you do? Are you actually practicing what I tell you? You watch me. You know, you do that willfully. Are you actually practicing these things? You actually care. Yeah, You're putting this information out so that people 
can implement it. I love people. I do not want to see them hurt uh, or or killed. Uh, if anyone is wanting to hurt the innocent, uh, if somebody has a gun, the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. That's it. That, that's it. And so what I need is all warrior poets out there, all people who are called to be protectors, carrying regularly. I need everyone playing zone all the time. So if that horrible moment comes yeah. and it's in your purview, it's on your watch, then you're there as a force for for good. And you're going to stand in the gap and protect. And so uh, I need everyone playing zone, all people who are loving protectors uh, to be caring. And that's what we're about. Thank you for doing that, man. Yeah, for sure. Thank Thanks you for doing it too. Um, you know, it's for, for me, uh, there's a clip that actually just went viral last week of me on uh, Andy Frasillas Real it. AF talking about, it. I'm going to awesome. carry my gun. You, you think I need your permit to carry a gun? It, it, did you see that clip? I did, well, uh, and, the, and it echoes exactly what, why. If the Second Amendment is meant to keep us from government interference with practicing the carrying of arms, what in the world is a gun permit except getting express permission from the government to exercise a Second Amendment right. It's prima facie a contradiction of the Second Amendment. Yes. Uh, and so, of like, <laughs> what I want to do is... So, neat thing, guys. I don't know if you knew this loophole. I have a universal carry card. I can carry in any place, any state, whatever I want. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's just a copy of the Second Amendment. You just yeah. carry it around. There it is, guys. That, Boom. It's my universal carry permit right there. I'm ready to what? go. So why the crap can't people understand this? Because uh, tyrants and cowardice. You, well, but you know, you know the main response that I that I saw, which which you know the 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 mean comments go straight to the top. But when I look at the comments on that clip of me talking about that matter, is uh, people commenting that I'm paranoid. So are you just paranoid, John? Why? I mean, why do you have to have a gun everywhere, man? For real. Why do you need a gun with you everywhere? Are, are you just paranoid? Are we just paranoid? I have a gun. What do I have to be paranoid about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I got a gun. People hate it though, man. Yeah. There's a lot of people that 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 that, that hate it. That that I that that I me or you would challenge men to get trained up and to carry a firearm everywhere they go. Regardless of, uh, regardless of if somebody, you know, the sign out in front of the restaurant says you can't bring a gun in here. Like, no, carry a freaking gun everywhere you go. It is your right. Like, if you want to obey that sign, it means you need to go find somewhere else to eat. All I right? Think, I, th I think it is part of the human condition uh, to enviously hate those who have what you don't or hmm. do what you Interesting. don't. And so if you are a weak beta person, just an effete male who is not capable of protecting other people, the strong are a living indictment against you wow. and your own unwilling inadequacy. When I, I see someone else who is a protector or a provider, it is a, is a living monument that I am not a protector and a provider. When I see someone strong, it's a living reminder that I am a weak mm. person. So we love our heroes, but really we hate our heroes too, and we hope they fall. As uh, the great uh, theologian of the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards, says, someone, you love someone long enough, eventually you'll demonize them because we <laughs> mm. love to see a hero rise, but then we love to see them fall. 
Uh, and so I think the weak despise the strength of the strong, and they would like to be able to remove it so that they don't have to grow. It's about pulling down those further instead of boosting themselves up. It is a super weak beta move. Wow. I've never heard anybody put it that yeah. way, John. You know how well said that was? Yeah. Have you taught? I mean, that's a great message, man. Oh, thanks, man. That's a thanks. great message. Maybe it's I love the coffee. That. No. Well, it's exactly no, you right. you just thought thanks. through this stuff, John. You're an Thank intelligent you. person, oh, man. Th- thanks, well, man. It, it applies to, you know, why do people hate on LeBron James and this athlete and that athlete? It's, it's every walk of life. Any success, the lower rung despises. It's true. I mean, it, it applies to everything, every social hierarchy, everything. Yeah. And but that's that. That's why I like not only what you're saying to people, but also you're not just saying it and having them accept it on blind faith. You, you present it in a logical manner. You say, "Well, here's why I carry all my all my pistols have red dots." It's you don't just tell people that's what I'm doing. You should do it. You explain why. You say, well, here's why. Yes, there's trade-offs. As the great Thomas Sowell said, there are no solutions, only trade-offs. That's great. Yeah, I agree with that. But you're saying... Soul, what a brilliant dude. But you're saying, here is why. Yeah, man. So, yes, there's trade-offs, but here is why. It's the most likely scenarios that this is going to be utilized in, and, and it will be the most effective in the most likely scenarios. That's well, Yeah, man. Well, I, I'm on a journey. I'm yep. on this warrior poet way that I, that I began a long time ago. And really, I document my journey. I talk about what I think, what I see, what I feel. Um, and I invite other people to come along as I stumble forward. Yep. Uh, you know, figuring some stuff out, two, two steps forward, one step back sometimes. But, hey, man, I'm on a journey. Let's go. You yep. want, you, let, let's, let's pursue something noble and true, and let's do it together and, and see where we land in a few years. And so, man, I haven't got it all figured out, but this is what I see so far. And uh, next year, I'll be saying different things. Hopefully, yeah. wiser things, better things. Uh, that's the key, man. Yeah, bro. I, yeah. I love that. I love that. When, when you are on a journey to, like you said, seek truth, find what is true, when you're on a journey to grow, you know one of the best things about that, man, is the well never runs dry. Yeah. The well, like you said, next year, you're going to have you're going to have new perspectives. You're going to have new stories. You're going to have new things that, that you're doing, that you're seeking, that you're learning. And I think people, there are people out there who are afraid to, you know, endeavor in this journey to share what they are learning on social media by way of a podcast, by way of a YouTube channel, because they're like, well, what happens when I run out of stories? What happens when I run out of content? Like what happens when I run out of, you know, things to share with people? Well, when you're on a journey to grow and actually figure out what's right, what's wrong, what's true and what's false, like the well never runs dry from year to year. The content never will run out. The stories will never run out. That's good. I wonder if someone finds that they kind of replay in their old stories ad nauseum uh they're not getting new stories i'm like well if if you're continuing on your adventure then the stories never end perhaps you're spending too much time looking back and not looking forward and a lot of vets who have climbed to the pinnacle of navy or army or whatever we can so quickly become so enamored looking back 
at our past, war, blah, 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 whatever. We don't find a new mission. We don't focus forward. And eventually we become a broken record of what we once did. And your adventure has ended. Yep. And what you need to do is find a new mission, a new adventure. Yep. Go do something hard. Yep. Make some new stories. Well, once I, I don't give a rip what you once did. <laughs> what are you doing right now? What are you doing tomorrow? Yep. Let's go do something good and challenging and noble and worthy. Yep. Stop, shut up about the past, veteran. No one cares. What are you doing tomorrow? Uh, and Come on, I, man. I, I mean, I say that, I say it harshly of like, nobody cares. I'm like, well, people do care, and I, and I do <laughs> care. And, and so I'm saying that in contrast to, it's great that you had an old mission. Thank you for your service. Rock on. Way to go, bro. But what are you doing lately? Yeah, and and, and also the, a, a way to foster that is to surround yourself with people who you can talk about the future yeah, with. Yeah, that's good. That's how, like how many, and, and this is especially in the veteran community, because we have clubs and we have groups and we have things where veterans can go. And, you know, when you get a group of veterans together, almost always the conversation revolves around, around the past. And that that's fun, too. That, that can be fun, right? Memory lane. Yeah. And but remember now, when we stuffed so-and-so in a wall locker? But that now, funny. if that's your every day, if, if the people that you're surrounded by every single day uh, and, and whether this is family members or whether it's your friend group, if those people, if all you guys can do is talk about the past with each yeah. other, there's going to be no growth there. Like, right. how often do we talk about the past? Like, almost never, unless it's to make a joke about it, right? It's pretty occasional. It's very occasional. <laughs> so how do we shift our mind to focus on the future? Well, I think it's one, it's got to be a personal endeavor to grow, to move forward, but it also has to be surround yourself with people who are who are going to talk to you about the future and who are going to go on that journey with you into whatever it is you're endeavoring to do, right? Mm. That's so important, man. And, you know, John, it's, it's really cool to be able to sit here also and talk about the veteran community, right? Because my guys here... They haven't served in the military, and that's no hit on them, right? But I hold back a lot on my conversation around the veteran community because I feel like when I have that conversation, I have to have another veteran in the conversation just to just to to bounce the conversation off of, right? Yeah. So I, it's I, not a monologue. Yeah, so it's, it's not a, a monologue, right? And and I want to get I, I want to get a I have to get a sanity check when I talk about these things because um I have some resentment towards the military and 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 you know that part of my life and stuff, right? So I know when I talk about that stuff, I can go a little hard one way. So to have you in here, I just want to go down that lane just a little bit because it has been on my on my heart a lot lately of how judgmental the veteran community is, especially online, against each other. I, I have seen it for the last three years of dudes just just eating each other, man, yeah. online, just tearing each other down online. And it's all about past stuff. 
Yeah. It's all about stuff in the past. And I'm like, what is going on right here? Like, do you realize the resource that we have as veterans to, to unite and move? Do you realize what we could accomplish in this country if we as veterans got organized and That's we true. united and we supported one another and the, in, in each of our individual endeavors, we became mutually supporting elements. That's part of have that's, part of why I wanted you on the show today. Yeah. I want to support you, man. I want to see you win. I want to see your warrior poet society grow. I want to see everything you do grow. You know why? Because if you win, I win. Yeah. And if you win and I win and the people around us win, the country wins. Yeah. We have a we have so much power with it. I mean, how many veterans are there in the United States? There's Good gosh, there's got to be millions. You realize what would happen if we quit freaking backbiting and tearing each other down and, oh, so-and-so's training sucks. Oh, so-and-so did this when they were in the military. Oh, so-and-so said this about me. Oh, that like, what the crap are we doing, man? Yeah. So, yeah, great questions, great points. Um, I see veterans in the training community attacking each other and... <sighs> Uh, I, I guess I get why. These are war fighters that no longer have a war, and their entire identities are built around fighting. And without a fight, they're going to fight each other. Yeah. Uh, whatever they're doing, they're going to find a fight. And so that ends up being a fight with each other. And these are not easy to get along with people. I'm not by default. My default setting is not easy to get along with. Anybody that is okay with running toward the sound of guns clearing rooms and hunting men who are hunting you back are going to be uh, pretty headstrong, can be pretty brash, can be pretty stubborn, and are not afraid to say exactly what they think and believe. And that can be pretty formidable for folks to contend with. And so you got a few factors that are going into to why the, um, the training community can eat their own. Uh, for me, what I try to do is with warrior poet training is we become so obsessed with reaching so many to train them firearms. I'm too distracted with mission to worry about what anyone else is doing. I don't know what training anyone else is doing. Yeah, nor do I. I, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care what the the new gossip and drama is and so-and-so thinks I suck. I'm like, all right, roger that. And now I'm, I'm back on mission and my goal is to just introduce as many people to firearms and training as possible and mobilize them so we can play zone and make the world safer. Yeah. And I'm not after the SWAT teams or be a super tactical operator. I'm after soccer dads. I'm after the everyday common chip. That's who I'm after. Uh, the guy who's like, whoa, I wasn't some special operation, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, good. I don't want you to be. I want, mm -hmm. I want the normal guy who's saying, hey, I, I wonder... I wonder if I should carry a gun. I wonder if I should get a gun. I'm like, yes, I would like to talk to you about that because yeah. you can. I'll show you how. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the next, I think that right now, what you're talking about uh, of being so mission focused on your lane, what God's called you to do, the gifts and the, the specific gifts that he's given you and, and how you teach people and how you, you know, what you're passionate about, like being so focused on that, like you can't, you, you don't have time to see what anybody else is doing. I think the next level or the level above that, that we as the veteran community 
would need to reach in order to to actually unite and be effective is to say, yes, I'm really busy with my mission. I'm really busy with my mission, right? You know what the next level is? For me to reach out to John Lovell and say, hey, John, I just want, I want to collaborate with you and I want to, I want to come alongside you just for a day so that I can be a mutually supporting element. Hmm. So like, that's what that that's what I'm talking about about uniting. And I failed at this, right? Because I'm just like like you said, I'm so focused. We're so busy. I'm so focused. I haven't reached out to you, man. So I want to I want to see more unity within the the veteran community, within the training community. Well, why don't I take the first step in calling you and saying, John, let's get together a day. I want to support you. And whether that means we make a YouTube video together and I put it on my channel showing people that don't know you, who you are, or whether it's me integrating into a training course with you and bringing my own unique flavor so that yeah. your be training great. gets better. Yeah, like, be why Why do, okay, I, I'm talking to myself right now. Why have I not stepped up and set the example for that, right? Because that's the next level. It's not just ignoring each other. It's not just not talking about each other. No, it's about intentionally setting aside time selflessly in order to make someone else or add to someone's mission success that's part of the same community that we're all a part of. Man, that's next level if guys would start doing that, man. If I would start doing that. You know, I'm in this whole journey of, of becoming less selfish, less myself, and more of who Christ has created me to be, mm-hmm. right? And that's, I think that's part of that. I think that's part of that is taking that, that, uni, that picture of unifying and be, uh, the veteran community, becoming mutually supporting elements, legitimately caring about each other and our individual success. Holy crap, dude. If that happened, even on a small scale, freaking steamroll some folks, man. Yeah. If you know? all of us could get a lot more humble. Yeah, that'd man. Be, that'd be great. <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm calling myself out right now. Uh, and, and I'm glad we're having this conversation because it's challenging me hmm. to, to think, you know, why don't, why haven't I done that? I mean, I know plenty of dudes that, Either they have gear companies, or they have training companies, or they have a brand. They're fir- they're, 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 they just got out of the military. They have a brand they're trying to get off the ground, man. Like, yeah, I I can say all day long I'm too busy to reach out to them and and do something to support them. Yeah. Well, well, that's to- just because I'm freaking selfish, man. You got to do that with no, no expectation of anything no expectation. in return. Exactly. Because a lot of people do say, "Hey, let's collaborate, John." And then what's the first thing you think? Like, okay, well, yeah, maybe let's do it. But what does this person want? Like, that's just the natural yeah. response to people. It and, can't be that way. And there's a few people that have helped us, Chad, I mean, in 3 of 7, that that do things and you think, all right, now what are they going to want? And they truly don't want anything. And it's so abnormal that you're like, yeah. well, what's the catch? Like, <laughs> what's going on here, man? What, why did you do that? that I just, want, just wanted to help you out. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. All right, that's a little weird. (laughs) We need to take note of those examples. And you want to know what's so key about this conversation, too? I truly believe the the biggest winners that I know 
personally that ha- that I've just crushed everyone else. They genuinely love to see other people win. That's good. Yeah. That's good. For real. Jesse Itzler, yeah. Andy Frasilla, these guys that I look up to, my, my mentor-level guys, they'll send, they, Jesse sent me a message the other day, a text message. He took time out of his vacation to send me a text message and say, hey, man, congratulations on getting over 200,000 subscribers on Instagram. You're doing a really good awesome. job. Way to go, man. Yeah. And I was like, what the crap? This guy literally, this guy's a, a billionaire entrepreneur. Wow. What? He, but he took time out of his day to reach out to me and root for me because he's right. genuinely excited that I'm winning. Yeah. And he actually noticed your subscriber and amount he, he on know, and Instagram. I'm like, yeah. But but the guys that have won at that level, that's the way they operate. Yeah. That you will never hear them say anything bad about anyone. Mm. They are rooting for people who they feel are, who or who they see are genuinely trying to do a good thing. Yeah, you know that's just next level. That and and so I really am interested, John, in your journey of building. The Warrior Poet Society. Like, I'm really genuinely interested in when when did the idea behind this mission that you're on, when did this first start churning in your mind? Like, where did all this come from? After it was already blossoming. Okay. <laughs> so, can you walk me through that? Because yeah, I'm interested sure. in on how you built the, the brand, how you... Uh, I just, I want to know, man. I want to learn from you. So what I didn't do is uh, sit down with this savvy business acumen and plot out a 10-year plan on how to build such and such and get, you know, all the right networking and ROI and whatnot. Really, I was on a personal journey. Now, I refer to it as the warrior poet way. I want to be fully warrior and fully poet. I want to be a protector uh, and a provider, but I also want to flourish a family. I want to be a well-balanced man. I want the strengths that warriors have of grit, and forbearance, uh, determination, sacrifice, daring, courage, strength, and I want the strengths of a poet. Romance, depth, philosophical thought, uh, theology, beauty, mm-hmm. awe-inspiring, healthy relationships, uh, and being in tune with those. Uh, and so, yeah, I want to be a worshiper uh, of God. And so I, I have these uh, warrior and poet architects, uh, archetypes. Um, I want to be a lion and a lamb. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus was. Mm-hmm. Fully lion, fully lamb forever. Yeah. I am supposed to be fully lion and fully lamb. And so that's the journey I'm on. And I think what happens is men is swing erroneously from one archetype to the other. or They are one or the other and not both end. So I am not, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm like, nope, you're neither. You're neither. Because if you're a lover, real love protects. Lover and fighter is, is our goal as men. We're yeah. called to be both mm-hmm. and to be deficient in one is to be deficient in both they feed into each other 
And so a man should be able to protect his wife and pursue her romantically, uh, exclusively, vulnerably, forever. Uh, it, it, you don't just protect your family to be a toxic tornado influence just to see your whole family fall apart. You lost what you were fighting for, man. Yeah. What good is your protection? Great, you can protect your family from the world, but who will protect your family from you? <laughs> you big dumb idiot. No, you need to be a poet. They need you to be a poet. More than they need you to protect from the ninjas hiding in the bushes. It is to be able to flourish that family, to love them deeply, uh, to make good memories and laugh deeply with them from the soul mm -hmm. and bring them beside you and coach your sons and daughters and then dance with your wife in the kitchen. Throw your heads back and laugh together on dates because you never stopped pursuing them. And I give a flying rip about how successful your business endeavor is. If you fail in those areas, you, you are not winning in the way that matters most to me. I, would fall, I have far greater respect for a man who has been married uh, for 40 years and grown up eight kids who love the Lord and are flourishing than I do somebody who built a billion dollar industry. Yeah, yeah. Nope. Oh, the the billion that that is, I think money is filled with all kinds of earthly uh, poverty. Uh, and so I, I care to be a balanced man. I want to be a warrior poet. This and, is this is the essence of of our mantra that we have here at Three Seven Project. Be hard when it gets hard. It's mm, that you, you're you're describing the essence of that mantra, and we've never talked about that in depth here on the podcast. But John, I couldn't have put it any better myself. That is what that means: is when 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 stuff gets rough, you need to have the training, the knowledge, the skills, and the ability to meet any level of violence, pound right. for pound, right? But when when you're off mission, when 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 you can step back. And, and you don't have an immediate threat, like you need to be able to take a wrap off and love your wife, love your family. You need yeah. to be able to have fun, laugh, think, do read, do all of these things that you're talking about. Um, be passionate about your faith and, and know who Christ is and all, all these things. That's the essence of what that mantra means. So it's, it's amazing how, how our beliefs are in such close alignment. As as individual as men, but also as brands, three of seven project and the warrior poet. And you said you've you've shifted from society. What do you what? It, oh no, it's still society. Society. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm on my warrior poet way, and those who are with me are part of the warrior poet. That's society. the society, mm -hmm. the That's community. The society. Got so, you. Okay. No, warrior poet is the operative uh, term. That is mm -hmm. that is our underlying philosophical slant. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that's a, there's a theological root that that grows out of. And so, hey, you're a Christian man. Of course, we're going to land in the same place. We're following the same guy. Yeah. Yeah. We're following the same God. So, uh, yeah, if you try to be like Jesus long enough, and I do as well, don't be shocked when our mantras <laughs> end up exactly the same. Wow. And man. we may brand it a little different. Yeah. But it's the same. It's the thing. same message. <laughs> Uh, that's that's yeah, awesome, dude. Yeah, we're copying the same guy. That's awesome, um, man. You're so exactly right. What ended up happening is I was on my own little warrior poet journey. I made it public through video content and the written word, 
it resonated with people who recognized they wanted to do the same thing and a following uh, emerged. Now, anything, any, if you want to do anything, you're going to require funding. Mother Teresa feeds zero orphans without money. And so we need to fund the movement. And so that's where our online store comes in. We sell all kinds of merch and books and rifle slings and medical kits and everything, whatever, whatever you want to get. It's our own little curated section. The store helps fund the movement. Awesome. The book funds the movement. Advertising revenue funds the movement. But the dollar is a means to an end. It's not the end and of itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it was the end of itself, people would sense that and our movement would die. Uh, It's, it's about uh, my big 10 year plan. It isn't of like, well, I I would like to grow it to a $1 billion. Nope. I don't have any of that. I don't give a rip about that. I don't even think in terms of that. No, I want to grow people. And my legacy is written in the lives of other people. And so if warrior poets, if the individual is stronger and we have more warrior poets, then we're winning. What do I want? Stronger and more warrior poets. That's it. Uh, and money is going to help us do it. But that's that's kind of the business model. of, mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, we, we need that to fund the other. So it's a necessary thing, but it's not the, not the end. It's not the end. Fortunately, if like I'm not built as a guy who really covets it, I don't want to worry about my bills, and I want to be able to do what I need to do. But other than that, like I drive old stuff, and you know we're not fancy, and uh, you know we're not living large, and if I, if like we're we're pretty content with what we got. Love it, man. Uh, I'm hard to get anything for Christmas because I'm like, I don't really want anything. I just, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you, man. I, I'd, I'd like to watch a movie today. Yeah, yeah. And not have any chores. Yeah. That's my big wish. <laughs> That's my birthday miracle, you know? Yeah. So, so, so at what, like, at what stage in your life, John, were you, were, were you, did you begin to articulate this journey that you are on and, and put these words to it and put, and actually define it like at what point in your life did that did, did you begin to articulate that was that why was that early on in your 20s and when you were in the military or was it after you were out or so the idea came um probably in the military right after salvation which happened in the military so that's where it started to really grow in form the language wouldn't come until my uh, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, eight years ago. Okay. It's, it's so, it, but the language just articulated what was already happening, and it gave focus and uh, a, a common culture that people could really communicate with others uh, about. So old stuff, new branding. Gotcha. I, I want you to, um, if, you, if you will, please, just give our listeners and give me – just a look into what that process looks like for somebody who's coming. And of course they can get more intimately involved with you, with you and your mission and your team and, and the development that you guys offer to them after the show, if they want to reach out to you, we'll, we'll talk about all that. But what does that process look like to you when, when you and your team, you know, you, you have someone who wants to begin that journey and they're coming from one end or the other of that spectrum. Either they're all, you know, poet or all, they, they say they're all lover or, or they're, they're just, you know, this 
be hard, stay hard all the time, warrior all the time, yeah. right? Like, yeah, your wife's going to get real sick of that. Man, how do you, but how do <laughs> all of the wives that you have will get real sick of you being hard all the time? Yeah. You know, like, bro, that, that, yeah, that you'll get you, sick of it. That makes you real good at mission and real bad at healthy living. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what have you found works to, to even begin to expose people to this better way, this more complete way of life? Like, how do you begin to reshape their brain or, or even begin to have conversations with them about that or, or begin to develop them into this more complete way of life? Like, what is that? How, how is that processed? How has that looked for people or how has that looked for, for you? Or, or I'm just interested in the process of that for somebody who might want to, who might say, man, this, this makes sense. And is, is that, is that kind of outlined in your book, that process? It, it is. Yeah. Okay. And so I'll, I'll directly speak to those who are a little bit more warrior, a little bit more lion. And then I'll directly speak to those who are a little bit more poet predisposed, a little bit more lamb. Yeah. And I'm like, Hey, good job with this. This is your next growth ring. Okay. This is what you got to press into, man. This, this is where you, you need to push and gain some ground and then vice versa. And so I'll have real hard words for the warrior and real encouraging words for, for the lamp. But the, the goal is to be well-rounded. The goal is to be balanced. Yep. And that does not happen in our fallen default state. Uh, it's just not going to happen naturally. Yeah. If you're not being incredibly uh, conscious and intentional, you're going to end up being a caricature of what a man should be. Now, for you, what did the process of, of putting that into a book, how was that process? How, how was that process for you? Was that extremely difficult? Did it happen over a long span of time? Did you just sit down one day and say, I'm going to, I'm going to write this all, you know, in a, in a couple of months? Like, what did that look like? Writing a book was not enjoyable for me uh, for a, a, a good chunk of it. And I'll tell you why. Uh, the stuff that I found fun in writing a book was when I was moved, when I was impassioned, when I had a good point, I would sit down and I would hammer out 3,000 words. I'm like, all right, that's good. And then I'd just go back to work. And then maybe two weeks later or eight weeks later, I'd have another thing. Like, bam, 5,000 words, rock on. Okay. And so I developed, you know, 20, 30,000 words, somewhere around, yeah, somewhere around 20 to 30,000 words. A book is somewhere around uh, 60, 80,000 words, 65,000 words or so. So it's like, I was well on my way. You know, I was a third the way through. Uh, but the difficulty is, is the, the way I was moved and, and wrote this excerpt a year and a half ago uh, well, it has a lot of redundancy with what I just wrote, or it's two completely different things, but how do you get from one to the other? And yeah. so um, in trying to write a book, I would reread what I was doing, but it became such a cumbersome, massive amount. It'd take me hours to yeah. read what I'd already read before I could even write the new. Yeah. And then meanwhile, I'd have to go back to work and I had a whole life going on. And so I could never once the work became uh, big enough, it became impossible to kind of manage. And so uh, I, I hired another writer that would help edit and help uh, me figure out of like, all right, you've written this and this. I need you to write something that links these two. Mm -hmm. And then they'd go through and see of like, all right, you have really been redundant on this. Which one do you want to chop? I'm like, oh yeah, chop this other one. I like how I said it here best. And so they're really helping me manage this. And without... 
without him and some, you know, other editors, it would have been just very difficult to bring this work about because though I worked on the book for a couple years, it was like a six-month sprint with a lot of help to be able to hammer this thing into a finished product. What an awesome accomplishment, man. Well, thanks. An amazing accomplishment. Thank you. To be able to put the, the, the essence of of that that journey and like just kind of like the the I guess the outline of somebody who wants to to endeavor on this journey of being complete being the warrior being the poet to be able to compile that into a book that somebody can take it up and have actionable things Mm. that they can immediately implement that 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 can kickstart them on that journey that's an awesome accomplishment man thanks man it was hard hard fought for hard one and I gave up a lot to be able to make time and energy for this other thing. So it, it, it was a good, it was a good haul for me. Well, so the first, how many, how many years were you, I get, I guess once you got this thing up and running, the book was out, you started the following, did you start to lean into actual live training or kind of what, what was, what was the interaction you were having with the followers? So, like, what would be the bread and butter, other than the store? That's that. Were, were you guys doing live training and stuff? Is I, that what was consuming most of your time? I really cut my teeth as an in-person, you know, physical trainer. Yep, I okay. teach people gunfighting. That's what I I did. And so, um, when we started, uh, yeah, when you know, I, I really got off the ground with Warrior Poet Society. I'm making video content and then training. I'm gone like every other week for a year. Because you guys are training all all over the country, over. right? I'm itinerant. I travel around training people. So yeah, man, I was training all the time, and then when I wasn't training, I was making video content. So then I'll branch out into store and, mm-hmm. and do like online store, and then do social media stuff as well. And then later, years later, we'll make a network a warrior poet society network that's an app and streaming service so we'll put all of our classes online then a bunch of other trainers have their classes online a long range precision and edged another uh, huge accomplishment and man and then we made some shows kind yeah, of yeah you've got your style. own cha- you got your own basic basic platform where you're not being censored and you're not dependent on algorithms right right you built that out yeah in the thing is, is when I first got on social media and YouTube, I did a, a quick site survey that reconnoitered the land and realized, ah, I am living on enemy terrain. I'm not welcome here, which means unless something ideologically changes with big tech, they will eventually not have a place for me. And yeah. so knowing that, I need, I'm like, okay, well, how can I take the temporary and turn it into something permanent? And that meant, okay, I will leverage social media and YouTube to make something permanent, which meant I need a website that is incredibly powerful and helps fund our movement because YouTube ad revenue isn't going to do it in three years. Um, and then I want an email list. Mm, yeah. I need I need an email list. So you have direct contact. Yeah, yeah. And, and now we have uh, phone numbers too. So the idea is, is um, if you don't have email addresses and phone numbers for your followers, then they're not your followers. They're, they're big text followers. Yeah. Yeah. And they can take them from you in a moment, mm-hmm. and you're out of business. And so every single week, we meet as a, a Warrior Poet team, our employees, and I want to know how many 
new email addresses did we get? That's all I care about. Yeah. Or I mean, I mean, we care about, we, we have like 20 something metrics that we go through in our standing meeting in our scrum. But, uh, you know, that is one of the most important. I want to know how many site visitors we had. I want to know what we did for revenue for the week. Uh, I want to know of like those normal CEO kind of metrics to, to see health yeah. of the company. Uh, but what's happened now is where YouTube used to be the major driver of our business. It's not. My email list crushes whatever YouTube does, uh, which is good because what that means is uh, big tech can't put me out of business anymore. Yeah. And uh, you or, can- or, or we would be the last of the gun world to, to go out of like they, they they're powerful enough to, to SWAT any of us. Uh, but I, I would be harder to uh, put out of business because uh, our followers cannot be separated uh, by a button by big tech. Yep. Yep. And, and not to mention you're, I mean, you be, you putting in the work to, to, to have direct communication with the people who want to learn from you is maximizing your impact. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's maximizing your impact because when you have something that's pertinent, when you have a piece of information that you want to share that you think is valuable for people who are looking to you for valuable information that is going to potentially save their lives, make their families better, make their life everything, you know, the whole the whole complete picture, now you can directly you you're sure that they're getting access to that information. Right. So Ultimately, the most valuable part about you doing that is the fact that you're now able to maximize your impact, which should be all of our goal, right? If we're not working to maximize our ability to impact the people who are looking to us for some sort of knowledge or inspiration, well, then we're, we're failing our duty as, you know, the the Lord has put us in the position that we're in and has took us through the journey that we, that he's taken us through and brought us to this point so that we can do the job he has us doing. And if we're not maximizing our ability to do that job, we're just being freaking lazy turds, man. So I, it's really, really inspiring to me that you took the time to build that, that private platform out to, 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 you took the time to, to build these systems out to m- make a, a real permanent thing that's not hinged upon the whims of these big tech companies, man. I, that took a lot of freaking work. It, I yeah, cannot yeah. imagine how much work that took. And, and some gambles, too, of like developing the, uh, the app. I mean, that, that's six-figure money, man. That, that's really expensive. Yeah, uh, just to start just before to start. you get anything bringing anything in. It's like a, and for me, especially at that time, that was a humongous gamble uh, of <laughs> yeah. like, you know, now we're well, we're well in seven figures, uh, you know, way, you know, well into that mm-hmm. to be able to do this. And it's kind of like when the short term of like that, that could be suicide. I'm like, may, maybe, but if we don't do it long term, we're cooked. And I'm not building something to, to help some people today. I want uh, to help them for the long term. Uh, I, I I want a movement that abides and is a force for good. Love and it, bro. So, uh, big tech it will eventually take all of our content off or shadow ban it or censor it. And so, if we have our own app and streaming service, then we, 
you know, uh, can control our own content. Yeah. So that's the idea of um, if you're building something on enemy terrain, it can be seized at any moment. So if you have your own own terrain, now you can build something that is lasting. And so that that that's the goal. We do and, that. We do that with homesteading too. Of like, we got it. We lived in suburbia and neighborhood, and that's how I grew up, and that was what was normal to me. And then a few years ago, my wife and I just didn't like the writing on the wall, and we're like, if we desire to remain free, and if we would like to uh, be healthier as a family and physically healthier and control our own food, we've got to get out of suburbia, get a stra- attractive land and be able to learn the basic skills of self-sufficiency, grow food, raise food, have your own land, have some self-sufficiency and autonomy. So I'm not dependent on the matrix, you know? And so, and you've got some interesting content in the works about that process, right? Yeah. We just, we've been filming for a few days. That's going to be awesome. Help my homestead show. That's going to be awesome. We brought in some subject matter experts, Sean and Beth Doherty, and they're like homestead grand poobahs. They're incredible, their knowledge. And their homestead that they've made is a self-sufficient homestead. So they don't have to go buy feed or anything of like, no, their farm feeds their farm. And and they're in the middle of that as well. So they're eating as well. So if like if if the entire global economy shut down, they just... <laughs> They just kind of keep going. I'm like, oh, that sucks for you. the grocery stores yeah. and the gas stations. As long it's as they're gone, I'm as, like, that sounds awful. You know, <laughs> you as know? long as they can defend it. And that was my point yeah. to them. So I'm in the homesteading movement. So, I, you know, there's this big homesteading movement. And I'm a voice in that now for homestead security because uh, uh, my tactical brain immediately looked at all these folks making these preparations. And I'm like, ooh, I can take anything I want. <laughs> Who's do I you know, yeah, look yeah, at yeah. these folks and you have like and, and some of them will naively be like, Oh, I've got a well, I've got a gun. I'm like, I know, I will take that gun too. <laughs> <laughs> like so no, if you your your life has been spent in developing, you know, homesteads you, and stuff. Exactly. And I've maximized how to reconnoiter, take and keep land. And so uh and it's not me that you're afraid of. I'm not going mercenary on you, but uh, it would be very intuitive of marauders in a time of social upheaval and scarcity to commandeer your land. And some of these gentle homesteaders have no idea how that would even happen. They'll be like, well, we defend our land and we, we got guns. I'm like, no, it's, it's With not like that. With their granddaddy's bolt action. Yeah, no, a couple, couple dudes wait in the wood line. The missus or your daughter's close by. They grab her and then they put it up for ransom. And the, you know, like, what would you do is they you know, slowly cut their toes off. I'm like, no, you exit your land and they take it. I'm like, and they're like, immediately their eyes get like, well, that's horrible. I've never thought about that. I'm like, yeah, that, that's like 101 yeah, for, yeah. for, you know, bad guy marauders who want your land. I'm like, this, this would be the first thing. <laughs> the first thing. And it just exposes them to have like, oh, we haven't really thought about security, have you? I'm like, no, you have not even begun. Yeah. Yes, you have a shotgun. Congratulations. <laughs> That means nothing. You, you, you understand uh, feeding yourself is actually more complicated than it looks like. So is security. Oh, yeah. There's experts at making homesteads, and then there's experts at taking homesteads. And you might as well, I mean, 
Well, I posted a video. <laughs> I posted a video yesterday where I was going through a sock mod kit, and I was talking about yeah. night vision goggles and thermal optics, and and there's a bunch of people on there that said, "Well, I think your average Joe would be better off, you know, to spend more money on their preps in terms of their food and stuff like that than they would in buying a set of nods and a thermal optics." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, I guess you could." But you can buy all the foods you want, and you can do all the preps you want until somebody with a thermal optic or nods and an IR laser aiming device yeah. busts up in your house and is standing over top of you with a gun before you even yeah. know they're in the house. Like you, you have to have, you can't just have one side of the of of the picture, right? So, um, I love that man. I I I am looking forward to uh, seeing some of that content. I know you talked about possibly some of it may be on YouTube at first, but we'll see how all that rolls yeah. out. But I'm looking forward to seeing that, man. I, I want to move kind of on in your journey because I don't know if you were like me, John, but, you know, when I got out of the Navy in 2019 and we started 3 of 7 Project, we we started also as a tr – we were, tr were a training company. That's our bread and butter. The, the, the last three years of my career in the SEAL teams, I was a SEAL instructor. I taught maritime operations and land warfare operations. And um, I developed a passion for teaching. Mm. That is my passion in life. If I'm teaching somebody something, I'm happy. That's cool. Right? So I love it. And uh, so that was kind of the foundation of how we started 307 project we're going to put on these uh these these courses a lot of our stuff is out in the backcountry um and and we're using backcountry environments to to teach people very fundamental things like communication leadership uh just how to develop a team it's really odd how many civilians don't understand the concept of developing a team like taking a bunch of strangers and meshing them together into this forming this single organism that's moving in the direction of a goal together. Yeah. And, and we use the wilderness environment to do that. But um, when we first started, you know, I wasn't really interested in entering the, any conversation around politics or current events or what's happening in the world. Like I was really just honed in on, on the personal development on the development of people, on the live training, and maybe maybe halfway through 2020, I started to look around me and I started to say, you know, my old philosophy was, you know what, I don't need to pay attention to all the bad crap that's going on. I need to focus on really promoting what is good, and I can just block all this other, but like middle of 2020, I realized, wow, okay, like I'm going to have to, I, I need to step up and enter this conversation and talk about what's happening in the world. And that was a hard shift for me. Yeah, man. Personally, that was a hard shift for me. Did you experience that shift at any point? Because now, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because you and I met for the first time at this Turning Point USA event. Yeah, we were where, on a panel and you forgot to wear pants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the clip went viral. If you haven't seen that clip, you should go watch it. Um, 
you see a bunch of men on stage with pants, and then you see Chad, a man on stage without pants. But the uh, but the interesting thing, John, forgot. is is if if in two thousand and nineteen, an organization like Turning Point USA would have asked me to enter into an, a, a political a po- political environment that's that's discussing topics of the nature that they discuss, I would have said no. That's yeah. not that's not on mission for me. Yeah. But we met, and so, you know, I I have seeing you really become a presence in this community, which all our community is all kind of interconnected and, yeah. and webbed like mine, yes. yours, Sean Ryan's, uh, you know, all these, com- these are all a lot of the same people. Yeah. And, um, you know, you've became a real powerful voice, not only in just discussing, this warrior poet way and, and mindset and, and, and this mission, but you've also become a voice in talking about the issues that we are faced with as a nation. Yeah. And so did you intentionally make that shift? I did intentionally make the shift. Okay, tell I me was, about that. I was doing it as a visceral and upset reaction okay. um, before it was a conscious thought of like I was reacting uh, to the socio-political uh, and moral, you know, falling moral landscape. Uh, I, I was reacting to it with upset, then did a check. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm really going political here. When uh, did that happen? Around the same time for you, I think. I think it was 2020, 2019, 2020, where I, and it was kind of, it was a growing Thing as I started pressing in a little bit, then more, and then more. And uh, I did it reluctantly and with great upset. I didn't want Same to here, do man. it. I, w- I was irritated that here I am talking politics. I hate politics. Same here, man. I despise it. I still, to this day, do not like politics. I like theology. I like philosophy. Yeah. I like life balance. I like training. But, but politics, I have no appetite, no stomach, no inclination to talk politics. I don't like the profession. Uh, for me to get into politics, the Lord would have, you know, would have to call me to it. And I would say, please find someone else. And he'd have to say, no, you go do it. I have no desire to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is, is politics has gobbled everything up. All there is, is politics now. You want to talk about uh, the weather? The weather used to be the most benign subject there is. And now, nope, it's climate change. You may trigger someone. Everything wow. there is is politics now. Wow. Uh, and so of like, I, I don't think it is cool that people uh, in America are murdering over a million babies a year. It's a genocide against the unborn. Yeah. I think I think that's morally reprehensible. I think we have absolutely zero right to, to look at uh, the crimes of Hitler, Mao Zedong, Lenin, Paul Pot, Mussolini, Stalin. We can't look at them with moral superiority while we're butchering our babies Amen, in mass. Brother. Amen. What is happening here? And we're so ignorant to this. And we'll lull ourselves to sleep with politically correct speech of like, no, 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 it's the woman's body, woman's choice to murder their young. And, uh, you know, like we're lulled to sleep. And, you know, years from now, when. The 
um, when we have really thought about this more, all of our weak sauce uh, explanations of like, no, at the time, you had to be there at the time. We just were like, well, it's it's the woman's body and our kids or grandkids will shoot back of like, but but it's the baby's body. Y'all, y'all understood science of like, the, mom didn't all of a sudden have two different sets of DNA, two heartbeats, and and instead of 10 fingers, 20 fingers, you know, because yeah. the kids, you didn't think that was actually mom's body. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, you had to be there. If like, it wasn't really a living life. I'm like, well, what do you think it was? It was growing. It was a human. And, and what what is appropriate now in our propaganda, which doesn't allow us to see just basic biological facts. Now we've been lulled to sleep by political speak. And people will say, oh, I don't want to go into abortion. I don't want to get political. I'm like, how is this wow. political? Good point, Tell man. me. And maybe it's biological. Maybe it's theological. Maybe it's a moral. But how is it politics? Good word. How is any of this politics? But yeah. everything you'll bring up is political discussion. Even something like marriage or gender. Gender. How is gender? Man. And gender identity and pronoun. How is that political? I don't know, but everything is politics now, which means if you don't talk politics, you can't talk anything. And so I refuse to be backed into a corner to entertain people, blow some stuff up and rack up some views and some ad revenue while my republic dies a death from a thousand cuts, while there's an ideological insurgency which is destroying the land of the free and the home of the brave. Uh, in my constitution, I swore an oath to defend uh, from all enemies, uh, foreign and domestic. I'm not going to sit by on this platform and milk it for me and not use it for a greater good. Nope, I'm going down with the ship. Amen, brother. And uh, and so... That's strong, John. Yeah, bro. I, I'm going to talk about the stuff that matters, and it has cost me a fortune, truly. It yeah, has cost yeah. me a fortune to do it. And they are censoring me more and more and shadow banning all because I'm getting political. I'm like, no, politics got into everything else. And I, as a freedom fighter, refuse to just sit down and let it happen. People don't understand. People, uh, I, I, and I want to, I want to just hit on this. You, 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 you hear John saying that it costs him a fortune to stand up for what is right. It's it ca- it, people don't understand what you mean by that. What I, I mean, I, what I mean is, is I know how to play a numbers game. Amen. In YouTube and social media, I it's could, not that hard to figure out. I know how to make a lot more money than I am. Yes, sir. Um, Here, here's the thing: if you wanted to keep your mouth shut about imp- things that were important, bro, and if you did, if you didn't retire, I'd be so retired. Okay, if you didn't want to, if you didn't want to to uh, to stand up. For for uh, what is right, and I, I'm talking when we talk about what is right biblically, what is right the the law of God, the Creator of the universe Himself. That's where we found find the foundation of everything that is right. Right, that's where that that guides us morally. If you want to do that right now, I guarantee you, this year you could probably make a million dollars this year speaking. But guess what, people. People don't want to hire people like me and you 
even though we have a great message, I can bring, I or you, I can bring a message to a corporation or a team that's going to help them move forward and become more effective, more profitable on all levels, right? But, but they, they won't touch me with a 10 foot freaking stick because, because I actually believe in something. They won't touch me, man. Like, I have had companies the that stop, I've had... Stop murdering babies message isn't actually lucrative for them? No. <laughs> I, I've had companies that have hired me to speak. I think what happened, they will, they will hire me to speak, and then they go and watch some of my YouTube channel, and then they call back and fire me. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, man. I've had that. So, if you don't understand what he's talking about, this is what he's talking about. Um, why do? Okay, that's one. Uh, that's one answer to the question I'm about to ask you. Why won't more men and women speak up and stand up? Oh yeah, well because they're afraid. Uh, that's one. Uh, another thing is they like money more than um, they like all the the trade offs for it. So um, I think they're right. that's could, just mind boggling to me, man. Well, I mean, to, how could you sleep at night? Well, I mean to say that people are scared, uh, love comfort, and uh, love money. These are not shocking revelations. It makes perfect sense to me that very few people are actually standing up. Of isn't that what we know of the world of? Heroes are rare. That's why yeah. we hunt for stories of heroes. Actually, uh, cowardice is more the way of man. Uh, courage is the exception. That's why there are s- epic stories, because courage is actually quite rare. Wow. So is individual thought. So is selflessness. So is love for something more than money or power or influence or popularity. Uh, very few people walk the martyr road because it's hard costs you everything, and what they haven't found is something worth it. What they haven't found is someone who, who's worth following uh, into ruin and torture and death. Uh, and for me, that's Jesus. So I'm like, I found something, someone far greater than anything that the kings of the earth can throw at my feet to lure me into living a vain and futile life. I'm going to follow Jesus, though it costs me everything, though it just destroys me in the eyes of the world. I'm really just playing for an audience of one now. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. And thank you for stating that so well, because I think maybe I get, I live in my own mind too much. And that's why I have struggled. I struggle with comprehending like how, why is, why isn't everybody using their voice? Like, why isn't everybody stepping up and, and standing for what's right in conversation, in, in their communities, by way of their actions. Why isn't everyone seeking this level of personal excellence? Like, why is it, and, and, and it's hard for me to, it doesn't compute with me. Why you wouldn't do that? It doesn't freaking compute, man. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I, I fully appreciate that. I feel that too. And I'll tell you, it was the second year of COVID where this really... Um, became you, evident. To you me. mean when we when we were in the airport and we were getting freaking told on for I sitting forgot. in freaking you not were there. for eating cheese? <laughs> you have been in airport. So I didn't really remember that because every time me and I you went and to your an airport, wife and Blake. That's right. Yeah. 
uh, I forgot that. We were in an airport together. So you have traveled with me during COVID. That experience where everyone was masked around us and then we had this uh, woke beta male marks. Remember when he walked by us and he talked to his little like three-year-old son oh yeah and he's like double masks with bubble wrap and gloves and sanitizing and then he said with an earshot of us he meant to be heard he says there's a lot of fascists on the plane today huh little buddy yep as he walked yep. by us uh and i said something uh something snarky back uh, oh i remember i said of like what are we demanding you do again uh because it was like the impetus was of like no you are forcing us to be masked calling us fascist for it. Yeah. I'm like, these, these folks, the folks who are always saying the word fascist have zero idea what it actually means. What do you think that means? You know, except using power and con, uh, power to control people that you ideologically disagree with. It's like the definition of fascism. I want to be left alone, which is not what fascism is. I'm like, so uh, anyway, but I remember that snarky moment, but this didn't stand out to me too much because it ha- something like this happened every time I flew. Yeah, but we were in our second year of COVID, which meant the um, uh, the people, regardless of what they said, they weren't really afraid of the virus anymore. If they were traveling in an airport, they had done the math, and internally they're like, oh, "I think we're fine." Yeah, and I knew that because everyone's nose was hanging out of their mask when it was snack time on an airplane. Everyone would take off their mask and eat their snack. Yeah, but it couldn't be spread their, when you were eating. Yeah, and we're yeah. all sitting shoulder to shoulder That's with each science. other. And, you know, of like, and, and I get the airlines so that they could continue to make huge amounts of money and pack their airplane full with people in every seat. Part of the way that they're going to continue to maximize profit is, is to do virtue signaling and have us jump through hoops and lines and distance outside and sanitize and mask up. So they show it's the theater of, oh, we care and we're doing everything we can. But it was really about pack you all in this enclosed space for hours at a time. They're not, they, they never, you know, distanced out seats, which would really be the, the one thing. If this was real. If this yeah. was real. And so everyone's nose is hanging out of their mask and everyone's touching their face and stuff and, Really, it was at the second year of COVID, everyone was just fearful of man. They just didn't want to be hassled. They didn't want to get in trouble. They didn't want to have people sneer at them or say something awful. I don't really have that or nearly to that effect of the fear of man. And so I remember the second year of COVID, the jig was up. Everyone's nose is hanging out of their mask. My family and I were walking through the D.C. airport end to end. You know, so we've got like a mile or, or three to walk through this thing, twisting and winding. And I remember me and my family, no masks on because, uh, uh, yeah, a jig was up. Uh, and uh, we didn't see another person from end to end that wasn't wearing a mask. Not a single one. And by the way, nobody even told us to mask up, you know. And, now, and once we get to a counter or a checkpoint, They'll make you do it. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I, I have dropped my mask, which was true. I'd always take the mask and I'm like, gravity, and then it just drop. Uh, and then they'll give me a mask. And I'm like, oh, well, here is a mask. I'm like, whoa, you touched that. Of like, I think you've infected it with a deadly coronavirus. <laughs> he would really do this stuff, man. Absolutely. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> I wanted everyone to, I wanted to constantly highlight the stupidity of this. My wife, my poor wife would just, 
you know, stand aside and let me do my thing. I'm like, no, 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 I have to do this. This, this is how I cathartically deal with it. And <clears throat> yeah. If you don't let me do this, it's going to come out in a less healthy way. I'm like, this doesn't look healthy to me. I'm like, I know. Just imagine there is a less healthy way. <laughs> That my catharsis will bleed out. Let me do this. And she's the like, last okay. healthy way is we don't fly. We get kicked off this airport. Yeah, so I knew exactly where the line was, so I never actually got deplaned. <laughs> I only got threatened to be deplaned many times. Yeah. So I never actually got deplaned. Uh, and, and typically, so once I got on aircraft, I, I was good boy masked. And then once we took off, then I would start playing my games. Uh, so I'm kind of yeah. like eating my lollipop in slow motion. I'm like, well, I'm doing this. You know, <laughs> I got the lollipop. You know, so, oh, yeah. so it's, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing these masks and then I'll ask about, Hey, you're all packed in with sardines. If it's kind of like, uh, what is it? Is the virus woke? It's kind of like, uh, what's going to, and they'll say, well, we got the filtration system. Like, oh, it's great filtration. So I don't need this mask. <laughs> well, no, you need the mask. And I'm like, well, what, what do you, are you sure the masks work? I think since the virus is so small, if you can smell a fart, it's not, uh, it's not blocking. It was COVID literal out, right? insanity. It was it, literal insanity. insanity, man. That was the but, point. Uh, what? What all this showed me was is the American people I had given way too much credit to. They were ready to on, mask man. up, yeah, and they were scared, uh, and so and they were incredibly compliant. And so incredibly, what I could do is I could I could strike up an argument with most anyone and get them to kind of lean in and be like, "Yeah, I don't really, I don't really believe it either," uh, or, or they'd see me unmask it, and you know it. Um, or a, a follower would come up. Somebody would recognize me in the airport. Hey, warrior poet, can I take a picture with you? I'm like, if you take the stupid mask off, I'll take a picture with you. Yeah. Uh, happy to love you, rock on, but it's kind of like, that's the cost. You got to do the thing, you know? And, I, and I'd be nice I about it. I love that. It's the same concept of you talking to people about, are you carrying a gun? Yeah. Like, I love that, man. So uh, anyway, what, what I want to do is I want to make the path really hard. For the Marxists, for the totalitarian psyop controllers, and so I'm I'm not going down without a conversation. Let's have a conversation about this. And so uh, I, I was difficult uh, on purpose. I don't want this to be an easy thing. Yeah, um, man, that was so weird to to talk about those times, man. Yeah, such a wild time. Just freaking wild. And man. now it's just gone. Nobody talks. About it's it just anymore. gone, man. It's wild, man. And, like and what dormant. That, what that I, means. I mean, how do we forget about this? Like, it's good we're talking about it. Yeah. We can't forget about this. Sorry to interrupt you. No, what is that just, what that uh, means? What, I think with uh being able to control a populace in general, mass formation, psychosis, all all, all that jazz. Uh, if it's uh I think uh, intelligence agencies been uh manipulating and playing with American people for a very long time, very long time through propaganda channels and whatnot, and the goal is demoralization. That means uh, you don't really hold uh, true to absolute truths and uh, uh, things that are uh, like rational and moral and so that you can be displaced to anything. It's kind of if you don't believe in anything, you can fall. Uh, if you don't believe in something, you can fall for anything kind of thing. Uh, but if you demoralize a population, you can control them and there's no coming back from it. And so uh, I, what COVID showed me is we are very far down that pipeline. Yes. Uh, the, the American populace can be massively controlled yeah even without a fight uh so uh and, and the crazy thing is john is i like to imagine that when this happens again the response will be different 
I hope so. But I'm not so sure that that's the truth. So cowardice is an epidemic. Cowardice spreads, but so does courage. And perhaps there was enough voices that started then and enough voices that are still carrying now. And people got their clocks clean and they kind of woke up. A lot of people, you know, woke up during this as well. I know this because, for instance, the homeschool movement blew up. Yeah, and did. what that meant is parents seeing what's happened to schooling system, our government schools throughout COVID found perfect excuse to bring home the kids and then they never sent them back. In the millions and millions yep. of parents took their kids forever out of government schools. And so that right there, that's like, awesome. That's wonderful. That's amazing. Uh, I noticed this with the churches. The churches that shut down uh, for long periods of time, they're shut down into year two. Those churches just died. And that's good because these spineless pastors weren't fit to be bold lions of the gospel. They're filling a spot. Those churches needed to die because they were already dead. They're already dead. Yeah. And uh, pastors who were courageous those churches swelled and took off. And so I'm like, ah, there was a dropping, but it was actually a refining. Mm -hmm. The righteous are as bold as lions. So if you're not as bold as a lion, you are not righteous. Mm -hmm. You you are not like Jesus if you're yeah. a coward. Yeah. Because Jesus wasn't a coward. Um, and he would tell hard truth. Uh, and he was ultimately murdered by the government because he wouldn't self-censor. Um, he wouldn't comply. Yep. Uh, and he was murdered for the religious government, which was the same as religious government. So, uh, anyway, of and I'm, you know, there other times you see him paying taxes and stuff. So, so I don't want to paint a picture of Jesus here, of you know, a non-compliant revolutionary, and mm -hmm. even of like perhaps how I conducted myself during COVID. Maybe that was really good. Maybe it wasn't. I'll be weighed in the scales one day. I'm, I'm still trying to sort out where I'm weighing here. I'm trying to I do the best too, I man. can. But I do know that uh, um, in within Christianity, there is a history of noncompliance. You know, I see in Acts chapter 4, of uh, they were commanded by their leadership to no longer preach gospel. And they say, hey, you got to judge whether you think it's right for us to obey man or God. Yep. But we can't stop preaching and then they went on and then they were arrested and they were beaten and then they were imprisoned and they were murdered yep and so that's how that played out and uh so anyway there is uh romans 13 follow the government until a point and then you don't follow them anymore and to follow them would be very wrong and evil of you yeah. the bible says do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing and so you let oh don't meet together anymore and if you can follow that, you're just not following Jesus anymore. Uh, you know, I'm not, uh, maybe, hey, there's a time, you know, of like, hey, your kids both have chicken pox. I'm like, well, or some whatever, they, they all got the flu. or And you decide, I'm like, hey, we stayed back. We stayed out for weeks. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about little moments. I'm talking about like, you don't let the government shut you down for two years. Yeah. We just yeah. stopped meeting together because the government said. Yeah. I'm like, great. Who's on the throne? Is it God or government? Because those are two completely different ways. And the government has always uh, wanted to be number one. And so is God. And only one can be on the throne. It's God or government. And so government's always sought to undermine uh, religious authority. 
mm-hmm. almost always uh, sought to, uh, because that's competitor number one. Yep. If there is no God, then government becomes the number one authority. Powerful stuff, man. Gosh, you're so well-spoken, John. Oh, thank I really you, appreciate thank it, man. I really do. We're not so well-spoken on here, you know. Uh, <laughs> this is a real treat yeah. for the 307 uh, Podcast thanks, listeners. Man. Well, I'm not joking. It wasn't three minutes in, and I'm like, I would I would kill to be that articulate. You're very. He's John's very... He's thought through this stuff. Well, that... And that you, takes time and effort. Yeah, so well-spoken. I mean, is, have you always been that way, or was that developed? Or uh, both. Well, thank. Well, one for me to answer that, you I have, have to accept, concede that I'm really good, and, and I, I don't necessarily. Well, no, you are good. I, I acknowledge well, that, you. but I'm yes. telling you, you're good. So I appreciate that. Um, I have read a wild amount of books and and d- devoted myself to study for a a long, long time. And so th- there's a. It's funny. I've, I had a season of life for four years. All I did was read for you know some six, eight, twelve, or you know six, eight, ten hours a day. I did that for years. Um, I, I read systematic theology books from cover to cover, things that you don't read cover to cover. And I just read for years and studied for years. And what happened is I was a bad student, and I didn't really care about learning or education. At salvation, when I converted quite violently to Christianity in, in the year 2001, like a light switch flipping on, God gave me the gift of knowledge mm-hmm. and teaching. And so when that happens, I received a gift. And, and with that gift, it came with this hunger to read. And then I noticed whatever I read, I could remember. And whatever I remembered, I could synthesize mm. and then spit out uh, into efficient and relatively succinct and articulate communication. And so, no, I, I, I received a gift uh, that I didn't really earn. So that's, well, that's, the, and that's it, it wasn't in my uh, past. No, I, I uh, so I, I I always had a certain amount of charisma, but I'm not talking about that when I, I was, uh, you know, a kid or, or coming up. I'm talking about something that that was really given to me yeah. in, a, in a, a a real neat light switch was off, and then it went on kind of way. It's just it's just I mean, without the the you can have all the knowledge and skills and possess it all in the world, but if you can't articulate it and share it with others, then it's it, it may be good for you, but it, that's all it is. And so to have that skill is super valuable. And well, thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all. The, y'all yeah. are kind. Thank the you. beginning the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's right. I had the exact same experience, mm. John. I mean, yeah. but I, I, I literally was a blithering, writhing idiot. And now you can flow. Before yeah. 2012... Oh. When when I was called by Christ and I heeded that call and I chose to repent and follow Him mm. and rely on Him solely for my salvation, uh, I overnight I became a more intelligent being. Isn't that great? Overnight, it's wild. It is it is wild and miraculous. Yeah. It is a miracle yeah. for sure. So I re- that really resonates with me. And here in just a minute, I want to talk to you about why you follow Christ, why you, why you chose to heed that calling and, uh, and turn your life over to Christ. I want to talk to you about that. But before we move on to that, I want to ask you, I mean, honestly, man, in your opinion, is there any hope for the United States of America as we know it, because I 
am looking at his, at what is happening, at what has happened. I'm looking around me, and, and I've been of the opinion for the last few years that it has become so rotten, so eaten with freaking termites and just destroyed and just so ugly and corrupt. I'm of the opinion that it must be torn down to the very foundations and rebuilt, mm. uh, which is a very ugly and painful process. But I just personally cannot see a way out, a, a, a change of direction without some significant suffering, some significant commitment, uh, some significant uh, potential loss of life. Yeah. On, on on the behalf of this sacrifice sacrifice on behalf of 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 us we the people I mean where do you stand on this because I I and I ask you this person this is a personal question because you know I would I would seriously consider at some point ser- serving my country again as as governor as uh, of our state uh, as um, you know, congressman, senator, as, as something like I. But then when I when I ponder, is that is that worthwhile service? I'm like, why the crap would I do that? Because it, this ain't going this 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 ain't gonna turn around. That's what I'm asking you. Where do you stand on that, man? So regarding hope, I have. Hope. Yeah, I guess that's a way to sum it up. I have hope in. American people out there of like um, regaining some ground and institutions of power. However, whenever I shift of like, well, what hope do you have for the United States of America to be able to like burst forth in her former glory and to return to what it is? I'm like, well, I am not so sure that we are going down. We might already be gone. And so what I mean with that is based on a few different indices. I'll say three different indices uh, that come to mind for me. Um, I think historians in the future will look back to us now and say that America has already fallen. Yep, just like we do Rome. Right, and so uh, historians will put a cap and end date uh, uh, on the right side of that hyphen on the epitaph of Rome. Yep, They'll put it at a certain place, but there were Romans living in Rome Oblivious to the fact that historians would already one day call their their empire as fallen and yep. gone. Gibbon does this expertly in the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, so anyway, understanding that no nation sits secure and all of the ancient nations now, with the exception of the Jewish one, are gone. Egypt doesn't have pharaohs anymore. Yeah. It's been supplanted and it remains Egypt in, in name only. So all the ancient empires are gone. Babylon or the, uh, the, the Grecian Empire or what the Assyrian or whatever you want to do. There's not one left. There's not a single They're one left gone. other than Israel. Even the British Empire yeah. is now just a few hours. The great Roman Empire has shrunk to your Vatican. It's this tiny little place where you rule. The Holy See. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, um, you know, if I look at three different indices how America may already be gone. One is if you don't have a border, you don't have a country. Any more than if you don't have walls on a house, you don't have a home. You have a lean-to. 
Uh, and so our southern border is completely open. And so if you don't have borders, you do not have a country. You could just say that geopolitically. It's a fact. So I don't know about that. I mean, uh, and, and the longer it stays open, the more it underscores you don't have a nation. It's one thing to have a open border for a little while because, hey, doors open and close. So maybe it's a door that we left open accidentally. But the longer it stays open and the breadth of like, no, you don't have a nation. That's not a door open. That's all your walls missing. Yeah, man. And so we're overrun. If you don't have uh, borders, you don't have a nation. So that's one thing. A second thing is that uh, if we don't have an allegiance to the Constitution— if we're not following that anymore, well, that's the bedrock. If you demo a fund foundation, whatever's sitting on that foundation is destroyed as well. Yeah. And so I look around and I'm like, I, I, I look at just First Amendment and look in the last just few years. How well does that sit? First Amendment is a, a right of the, uh, the people to meet, uh, to challenge their government, to have freedom of religion, freedom of press. I'm like, well, the press is bought out and privately owned by elitists, yeah. propaganda machines and give up meeting together and censorship of like all this yeah. has fallen in front of us. The second amendment has been, uh, you know, uh, cut a thousand different ways. And so the second amendment we have today is nothing like the second amendment they had before where private citizens would own cannons and warships. Yep. And so and 50 caliber muskets that would cut you in half compared to a AR 15. <laughs> like anyway, uh, we have all kinds of infringements here. And so I look at the Constitution and say, all right, well, that's not very intact. So perhaps the country, the moment the the Constitution is disregarded to such an extent, you can say, well, the foundation is gone, then the country has gone too. Uh, that follows. And then thirdly, if you don't have a, a fair and honest elections, your country has gone. And uh, I think we've already seen our last fair election. I do not believe Joe Biden got 81 million votes. No, no way. That is such a... Uh, horrific insult to my intelligence to be able to sell me that bag of goods. Uh, what a lie. What a lie. And so I, I don't believe that. And so if we don't have secure elections, you don't have a country either. Uh, that's beautifully stated, as usual. But then that leaves everybody's question. Well, what do we do? Well, what, so, what do we do? So well, what it means is that historical America is gone. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so now, and now we're reforging something different. Uh, we're we're having something so wildly new with some semblance of what was old, but we're, uh, you know, like syncretism creating some different thing in its place. And you think that we are, you you could potentially say we are in the process we're of the, forging the, something. I think new. we're in the process of that. Now all this stuff is way above my pay grade. I'm just one dude looking around at the terrain and making yeah. some judgment calls and trying to think about this. So I don't know, but it does look like we are forging something different. We are not uh, exercising something that was, you know, of more of our idyllic past where we're, it's something new. And I think in that uh, newness, our institutions of power, all of them have been hijacked. That's mm -hmm. academia. That's the media. That's the entertainment industry. That's, uh, all areas of our government, that's our intelligence agencies, all of it, all of it has been taken over. And so even if the populace is primarily thinks and breathes freedom like you and I, you're not going anywhere unless your institutions of power match. You, you have to have your institutions of power. And so uh, what, what's happening right now is we're building a parallel economy. 
of like, okay, the government schools, we're doing homeschool and we're doing it in mass. Uh, and we're providing alternate news sources yeah. are growing up. And the rise of the citizen journalist is beginning. Uh, and, and academia is, is, is changing. And so, and so is entertainment industry. We have rival yeah. entertainment stuff. And so you're seeing parallel institutions of power rise up. And I think the next thing is federalism and the, the states that reject this national monstrosity, this leviathan crawling up from the pit, are rejecting uh, federal law and moving more toward a federalistic system where the states are, are regaining and wielding autonomous power. Yep. I think that's and key. So there'll be a coalition of free states yep. and a coalition of... Uh, tyrannical states, and that will ultimately careen to a uh, physical altercation, which will be terrible and awful, which I do not want to be. I mean, I want to be horrifically wrong with that, but I can't imagine how that, uh, the sharp divergence in ideological view right now and the ideological powers and the nature of that uh, ideological power that controls the institutions of power would not continue with the age-old tyrannical machinations that tyrants always use, which will be, oh, oh you won't do it? Well, we'll force you yep. to do it. They've already used that language. They're fine to weaponize institutions of power against citizens. And you can be like, well, I'm just checking out and you know doing my own thing. I'm like, no, tyrants will never let you alone. Oh, no. They won't live and let live. You know, And so ultimately... It looks like we're careening toward another kind of war showdown, and I would like to just peacefully uh, engage in the war of ideas alone and be able to make up ground there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, hey, California, you want to go do whatever? Great. Secede, and we'll do our thing. You do yours. <laughs> we're not united anymore, but at least we're allies. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh yeah, so I, I don't know. This is uncharted territory, but well, it's it, a, it's uncharted it's uncharted territory for us in our lifetimes. Yeah, that's right. It's not uncharted territory if you look at historical context that's of right. civilizations who, our own civilization, yeah. our own nation, in in eighteen sixty five, yeah, well, a very similar but different but similar scenario. Yeah. To what you are just what you just described, right? Yeah. The, different issues, but a similar scenario. Yeah. And so the problem is, is as we're moving toward that, we don't share a reality. We don't share. Yeah. We don't share a reality with the authoritarian left. And because we don't even share a, a reality or a morality with them, the contrast is so vastly antithetical. Yeah even though it's reaching to our, all right, well, we can't live together anymore. I'm like, all right, well, we'll secede. Last time <laughs> the South tried to secede from the North, there was a bloody civil war over it. Now, this has nothing to do with racism or, you know, any of the reasons why it was fought. It's just saying, for whatever reason, yep. there was a secession. And secessions never happen peacefully. And that's what I'm afraid of because I would like to avoid at all cost the bloodshed of my countrymen, even the people I adamantly disagree with. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I don't, I can't point to any real peaceful ways a nation breaks up. You don't uh, have, or is reforged. I can't. You can't point to it because there's no, I don't know that there's any historical example of it. Yeah. And even if it starts peaceful, you're like, yeah, but eight years later, they were in a full out, full scale war. <laughs> and yeah. so it's kind of yeah. like, well, 
even if you transition peacefully at first, bloodshed comes. And so that, that's the consequences of uh, different ideas. It's a house divided against itself cannot stand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just can't. It's, and we are a house more than divided oh, against itself. Unbelievably. Unbelievably. So. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's one thing that, that I, I've, I've, I've arrived at the conclusion when we look at our when we when we look at our leaders, the leaders that we elect uh, here in the United States of America, I, I don't understand why people don't look for who, for a leader who has a gift or, or, or a calling or an ability to unite. That is the that is why George Washington was elected as the first president of these United States. They pushed him forward as the candidate. Yeah. And he was voted for because people knew he was the the one man who could unite these United States. But when we look for a candidate now to lead this nation, we look for somebody who has some business acumen. We look for somebody who has a certain stance on this or that. No, we need leaders who can unite people. Like that is what we need. Uh, But now it's more you're installed as a perfect puppet. Exactly. Let your puppet masters do whatever they want as you're the public fall guy. Exactly. <laughs> you're a useful idiot. And that describes a lot of our uh, political officials, unfortunately. You it's know, interesting, too, that, that we liken this, this, just a minute ago, we likened this to the forging process, right? We're forging something new. We can, I think John and I both agree, we are in that process right now. The very so. beginning stages of that process of forging something new. Yeah. What, 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 does Are there any knife makers watching on YouTube right now? The forging process is a violent process. It is, yeah. is it not? It is. You take this raw piece of ugly metal or material and you pound it you heat it up extreme heat and you it's violent man and that that thing that blade that you're trying to make it can come out good or bad yeah you don't it it, you know it depends on who's wielding the hammer right it's like it can come out freaking not worth just throwing in the garbage garbage or it can come out as being this beautiful work of art so just because we're in the forging process, we're not saying that we're guaranteed yeah. that the end of this process is going to produce something that's beautiful and useful. No, the French Revolution wanted to shrug off their uh, tyrannical government, but they did not do like the American Revolution, though they were able to disrupt and throw off their government. Nobody had a really good idea. And so the French Revolution just drug on and on, like 20 French revolutions over a few decades, and an emperor. And so uh, that did not go well. And in fact, in the history of revolutions, ours really stands out as quite remarkable Mm -hmm. that we shrugged off something worse, created something much better, and something that actually worked and lasted. And it was the great American experiment. I would love to return to that experiment. Maybe... Maybe even if we were dead, we could be reborn back into our old image. But to to do so would require 
a lot of people not being apathetic anymore. Yeah. Uh, we need to drain the swamp. We need a next new wave of uh, politicians that won't take the briefcase full of money and will actually enact change. Uh, and that, that really sounds like a tall order. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, like, I think uh, it's a rigged deck, and now the, the righteous can barely enter it. If, yeah. If they even, so I, I don't know about that, but I know a lot of this can seem so heady, so daunting, so uh, impossible for just the normal dude listening in his car right now, driving to work in North Carolina. I'm like, what, what in the world do I do about it? And I'm like, well, I think, um, well, one is make your local community stronger. If everyone's local community got stronger, well, the country is really just ba- built by local communities. So you can't fix America, but you can fix yourself. And you can, once you get home and the news is turned off, you can raise and your family. It's not, you know, like I have a refuge here. And so once I'm done working and I'm out done battling all the whatever, I'm home and my doors close and I'm spending time with my family and we're carving out joy. And there's no storm clouds at my house right now. There's no marauders breaching my property line. We're still able to carve out some joy and some peace and my family is flourishing and growing, even if the world around us is uh, falling apart. So, hey, whatever is happening right now, enjoy peace and health where you can. And you can have a home that's filled with joy and freedom and peace and love and, and all the things that are noble and true. And then, you know, tomorrow you can put on your work boots again and you can go out and try to help other people find that as well and regaining some some ground. But I'll just say, well, if it all sounds doomsday-ish and terrible, remember, you still get to go home tonight and you can make your own little free island uh, where, where things go. And then you can extend that to your local community of the worst things gets out there in the grand scheme of American dystopian life. Uh, the more I really invest in my local church, which is going very well, and we're making friendships, we're making some headway in the community. And then me and my neighbors and uh, my homestead, and we're carving out a life. And, uh, you know, of like, at some point, yes, it's bad out there, but at some point you turn that off and you do what you can in your home and in your neighborhood and in your greater community. And if all those things got stronger, the nation will get stronger too. And, and in yourself. And in yourself. So yeah. I, I, what, what I love about what you just said is you're telling the average person like who doesn't have them? People think they have to have a massive platform to make a difference, no, right? Sir. No, look, sir. look. There is John just told you there is still space right now for you to strive for personal excellence. That's where it starts with yourself, right? And then that gets disseminated out to your family, to your community, That's right? right and, and so, you know, I I truly believe. In a, th- this is a non-realistic expectation. But if every if every citizen, or at least the vast majority, 
of citizens of our nation would get serious about striving, and this comes from my buddy Andy Frasilla, if they would get serious about striving for their own personal excellence, both physically, mentally, and spiritually, that is the solution to every single freaking problem that we have. That would disseminate out, and it would literally create a, a body of living body of people who who could not be stopped yeah like that is the answer to everything i i, I for some reason the reality is that's that's i don't want to say it's an unreal I, I hate saying it's an unrealistic expectation because then then i think the people hearing this are like well why should i do it if it's an unrealistic expectation i hate saying that but no, but well, i'm just like to have the majority of people actually get on that page but i don't i don't need everyone to do that because what may be an unrealistic expectation for everyone to do is not an unrealistic expectation for just you yes you yeah listening to this right now though the world won't be fixed and, you know, th- there's nothing you can do about it or I. I can't make the politician stop being corrupt. I can't do that. You, individually, just you listening could be a little bit better tomorrow. Uh, and don't worry about anyone else. Just worry about you. Yeah. Just, just you and then your family, your neighbors, community, your church, your, your business. Then, you know, you, there can be a ripple effect. And, you know, like, you're like, well, what about everyone? Nope, just worry about you. If everyone worries about that, yeah, uh, then then we'll, we'll happen. And by the way, of though we're given an impossible goal, just because you can't attain it doesn't mean we can't get a little closer. Yeah. You know, be perfect yeah. as I'm perfect. Well, I can't do that, so never mind, Jesus. Good luck. Because I can't become like you, I'm not going to become a little. Yeah. I'm like, no, that, that, that's, that is weak loser thinking. Mm-hmm. You have to break it down. You have to break it down like that to be able to digest it into a form that you can actually apply it. Yep. Right? I mean, you, did you have something, Chill? Well, I've just I've realized that people, including myself, refuse to aim small enough. Yeah, man. You, re- you refuse to when you when you need to lose a hundred pounds, you refuse to lose one pound. You want to lose a hundred. Yeah. When you want to lift more weight in the gym, you refuse to add a pound at a time. You want to add fifty pounds. Yeah. It's the same thing. You want to fix the world before you want to get a tiny bit better. It's not. It don't doesn't work that way. You get a tiny bit better, and then there's a ripple effect, like John's talking about, that does make the world better. Yeah. But it's you won't aim small enough. I, I don't. I don't know what that is in humans because I have it too. But I think that is the issue. We want to fix everything all in one go, so we we cast aside yeah. the small steps that'll get us there. And I want a better marriage. You can't have one. But you can go on a date on Thursday. Yeah, man. You know, if like, whoa, but I want the big, no, 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 just a date on Thursday. And oh, your but that job, won't do bro, it. And your job, bro, you got to make her laugh like when you were dating. <laughs> just, just figure out. That's your goal. Have fun together. You're like, but I want a better marriage. No, 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 just do that. <laughs> and then after that's done, you know, there's... Next day, you know, like, and then there's all the in-betweens and it's, it's really your big wins are actually just a bunch of really tiny wins put together. That's it. That's all it is. That's a, and that's where you yeah. can, we talked about looking at the past earlier. That's where you can look at the past in a positive way to, in a constructive way and say, well, I did achieve these things in the past. I have had success in this endeavor. 
how did I do it? And if you look back at it, you'll look and find that exact thing. You'll find that you did a little, one little bit at a time. It didn't just happen. Yeah. It's not happened for anybody. That, that so, is true. So that's how you can look at the past and say, well, that's how I've achieved everything is little small steps. So why am I foregoing that now? And the other thing people do is they look at other people. They see a problem. They say, well, what do these people need to change? Yeah, not look at yourself. In order for the, and not look inward on what actually needs to be done within themselves. And that, yeah, I mean, that's where it all starts. You want to, you, you look at the world and you say, look, our, our political situation is, is hopeless. Look at how corrupt and, and how much the politicians lie. Well, how about you stop lying? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it's so much easier for if, you, you know, folks will, instead of having to embrace any individual change or struggle or difficulty uh, to look outward and say, everything's up uh, awful right there. And what we need is to so-and-so to be, you know, and, and it's, there's no accountability in there. There is a, one, um, a brilliant philosopher and journalist in the 20th century by the name of G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite dudes to read, brilliant, brilliant guy. And a column was created, a question put out to the uh, British public at the time. It says, what's wrong with the world? And people email, mm. messaged all this in, and this you know, incredibly well-spoken, brilliant man known to be the prince of paradox and all these words who you'd expect some um, miraculous, amazing dissertation. He answered the column. We have public record of it. The great G.K. Chesterton answered, what is wrong with the world? He says, dear sir, I am G.K. Chesterton. Hmm. And that was his response. Wow. And it's powerful. That, that man. was it. I am what's wrong with the world. Uh, and so what it was is it was taking responsibility. Real men take responsibility. Uh, and so, and that's what leaders do as well. So-and-so failed in your organization. Yep. And it's my fault. It, it, it's my fault. Like, but you had nothing to do with it. They did it behind your back. And so I know, but because I'm the leader, it's in my area of responsibility. And though it wasn't maybe me directly, indirectly, now I'm going to directly involve myself and I am going to make it my mission to fix it. I take responsibility. I take accountability. And so whereas I cannot fix America, uh, I can't fix the left, I can't fix Hollywood, can't fix academia, I can do something about me. Uh, and I can invite other people along the journey. And together, that's going to make a, a, a wild force for change. What's yeah. wrong with the world? I am. I am. It's me. Uh, so I, I think that is fiercely practical. I think that that's a dog that will hunt right there. I agree. Yeah. I agree 100%. John, I want to ask you. I can't, uh, I can't not ask you. And I think people want to know why – have you chosen to follow Christ? Why? Why? I mean, oh, I, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't choose it. Uh, yeah, so I wasn't. Good answer. I, I didn't. I wasn't yeah. looking for him. This was my personal testimony. Love and so it. all I can do is recount what happened to me. And so some folks made that conscious decision. They realized such and such. That didn't happen to me. Yeah. It's like I, I was involved in an L-shaped celestial ambush. Uh, I, I was, it was a raid. It was a, a, a force taken over. And so that's what it felt like for me. There was no, you know, shy decision to whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, the Apostle Paul uh, on his way to Damascus, Syria, was converted to Christianity. But 
he wasn't actually asked if he wanted to follow or anything else like that. It's just Jesus appeared to him. It's like, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul doesn't really get to answer. Mm-hmm. He just says, who are you? Uh, and uh, then Jesus says, hey, go to this next city, and I'll tell you what to do. The The assumption was of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're on my team. Go to this city. I'll give you your next marching I love orders. that, man. It, and it was, a, it was a hostile takeover. I didn't have any theology for what was happening to me, but I, I'll say I'm no Paul. I'm nothing like you know the great apostle Paul, but I do know that there's a little bit of symmetry in that. I didn't have the bright light and the uh, physical community, but that's what it felt like. That was the spirit of it. It was, it was a takeover where Jesus showed up to say, you've done your own thing long enough. Now you'll work for me. And mm. it was a miraculous moment. That it is an incredible, mysterious one. I'm a cynical guy. I'm a logical mind, uh, and uh, I'm not prone to religiosity. I have no appetite for ceremonial, uh, you know, dress and robes and incense and all of that stuff is is not attractive to me at all. Uh, I, I don't have a desire for the mythological or anything. I'm just telling you, uh, my rational mind was overthrown in a moment that stuck forever. And my uh, heart was broken and then rebuilt. And that happened around May 20th of 2001. It was something that happened to me that literally took me off one track and put me on a completely different one forever. It's something that, looking back, I, it is undeniable something miraculous happened to me. And the evidence is, is I was in one, I, I was one way, and then all of the sudden, in a day, in a moment, I became a different person. Can you tell me about that day? Um, I I remember the yeah. Uh, uh, it there was a leading up to it. I don't know what exactly it was. I was in processing into the military, so I'd already lived on. I'd already I moved out at fifteen, and um, so I was already used to, you know, being out of my parents' house. I was a wrestler and a good one, so I'd excelled in fighting and on my fast track to growing in masculinity as a, you know, pretty tough. I tortured myself cutting weight and uh, anyway of, and I was living like doing whatever I wanted to and chasing skirts and substance abuse and uh, I mean, I was on a completely different track and guess what? I I was kind of having a fun time doing it. You know, I didn't feel like this big vacuous hole. And I was there. Uh, yeah, I had a, a, a big hole in my heart I wasn't aware of. And, uh, you know, I was self-medicating with enough fun that I didn't really care. I wasn't. Yeah. And so uh, um, I don't know how to describe what happened to me on that, that day where everything came to a head. I felt like I heard the Lord's voice in my head or heart. I can't be more specific than that. Yeah, but there was uh, there was a voice uh, in me that spoke, uh, and uh, it it brought on a breaking. It felt like my heart was broken. I just wept, and I'm just trying to put on a strong face, and I couldn't communicate with anyone of what was happening because one, I was I was hiding this from everyone, and I didn't know what was happening. Yeah. Uh, after that, immediately came joy and action. Like, man, I, I, I felt like this joy, almost this reinvigorated purpose. Like I, all of a sudden I, I'm, I'm a, a vehicle and I got a new engine dropped in with fresh gas and an oil change and I was ready to go. 
And so I immediately went on mission uh, and in basic training when everyone's freaking out and we've all been hazed and push-ups and drill sergeants yelling everything. If like they, they moved out and I'm like, hey guys, private level. Uh, after lights out, I'll be doing a prayer circle. Anybody want to join? That'd be pretty no awesome. Kidding, man. And then I sit down and that was my first day in basic training. And, and so, you're brand new. Brand new Christian. Brand new. Huh? Brand new Christian. I didn't, I didn't attend a church service. I didn't have wow, a Bible man. and I didn't have anybody leading me to the Lord. It was all. And so that, that was, now I had an influence there. Uh, somebody who was a bright light, a, a manly Christian who was there, Kevin. Uh, and I just, there was his example looming, but I didn't really get evangelized. He was just, there he was. And he was praying for me mm. oh, without my knowledge. I'd find this out later. And he'd become, once I'd graduated basic, I'd be reunited with him. And he'd become my first brother in the faith and first mentor. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, the Lord had me walk a, a path alone for, for a while. And so in basic training, I immediately did that. And there was a bit of a horror after I stood up and asked everyone of like, Hey man, I'm uh, praying in the circle, you know, after lights out, you want to join rock on? Uh, I sat down. I'm like, Whoa, what happened? I'm like, that's not me. What if they find out who I really am? What if they find out how I was four days ago? Yeah. Uh, and so there was that. And, and all of a sudden I felt like this big Im- imposter, but no, the, the change took, I was different. Yeah. This is what I wanted to do. And so um, I've, I've been emailed from uh, recently by uh, a multiple of those men who joined those prayer circles. No kidding, training. man. Yeah. So, I, some actually came to the Lord, which was really neat. Uh, but uh, pretty pretty neat wild ride. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And and you you have followed Christ since then. I mean... Uh, that's a powerful story. Uh, that just resonates so much with me, man, because <laughs> like people people might listen to this, listen you just listen to what John said and say, "Ah, that's impossible, right?" But when I hear that, I know it's possible because it's nearly to a T the same way the Lord mm. dealt with me. That's pretty cool. And maybe we're tough nuts and there's no way we're getting saved unless we're just done violence. But you got to, I mean, I had to be broken. It's wild, man. It didn't shatter me. There was no way you were going to ever get through of like, I had a certain amount of arrogance uh, to me, I I suppose, in my outer show. Some people listen in and maybe they've been gelling with me up until this point. Maybe they've been kind of like, you know, yeah, John makes a lot of sense. All right, that's a good point. And then all of the sudden, when it comes to faith, when it comes to the God who is there, oh, well, John's an idiot, believes, uh, you know, like, whoa, whoa, does that match with anything you've heard from me so far? Yeah. Maybe it's possible that you are biased wrong in ways that you really are not prepared to go down. Maybe I know something that you don't. Maybe I'm not inconsistent in this area that everything I have and am is based upon. Uh, and it's arrogance that just refuses to see it. Uh, I see it as, I would bet everything on this one central fact. There is a God who is there, and he is not silent. Yeah. That that was uh, actually borrowing a uh, title from a Francis Schaeffer trilogy. Uh, The God who is there, he's there and he's not silent, and escape from reason. Uh, You want a philosophical work uh, undergirding the uh, intellectual uh, premises for the faith of like, buckle up. Good luck with that. 
Uh, I read that trilogy and it really rewired a lot of how my brain works. I'm like, I had no idea these arguments and this data was even there. Mm. Uh, but the problem is, is the average atheist rejects what they have not even begun to understand. There are brilliant arguments they have never been subjected yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, those have been crowded out, out of what was commonplace in academia to hear. Now the entire argument outside of some Sunday school tales uh, that you may have heard, the entire intellectual basis uh, for the Christian worldview, you've never even heard what you've rejected. And it takes it takes work to, fi- to find that stuff, man. Like you have to intentionally seek it and then put the time into actually un- trying to understand it or grasp it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, wrestle there. with Francis Schaefer. Wrestle <laughs> yeah. with G.K. Chesterton. Of uh, Have fun. Uh, with those. Uh, go, take, go take some notes from C.S. Lewis. Yeah. yeah. Um, good luck. Uh, let's like, see how smug you are on the other side. I you've agree. You've actually had your ears boxed theologically by some folks who have actually done a little bit of homework, and you are going to be overwhelmed by cascading arguments that are brilliant, that has the ring of truth, that yep. matches reality, and you have never heard any of it. You have not heard what you're rejecting. Sean McDowell, um, uh, yeah, he, he's doing lots of stuff on YouTube right now. Young, brilliant. He, he's somebody who's still living, so I'm mm-hmm. bringing up my friend Sean McDowell. William Lane Craig, holy smokes. Mm-hmm. He's kind of... I'm, a, I'm a huge C.S. Lewis, um, I guess, uh, follower, if you want to say, his book, Mere Christianity, Bro. is just like such a good foundational starting point mm. for for people who are seeking uh, what John's talking about right here and who are willing to go in and maybe look for something that's going to challenge their current belief system. Uh, that Mere Christianity is just a really great place. I recommend that book. I actually keep multiple copies of that book and give them away to people because yeah. um, it's, it's, it's not intimidating to read it. It's a small book. You pick it up. It makes sense, and it will challenge you uh, if, if you have chosen to, to ignore the reality of the creator of the universe as being the God of the Bible, uh, it, it'll challenge you. Just pick it up and read it. So it's good. Yep. Um, all right, guys, we've been, we've been going for a while now. We're going to wrap up here in a minute. Blake, you got anything? You've no. done a lot of talking on this podcast, man. I wish you would have allowed our guest and, and the main host here to talk a little more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, so, why don't you shut up, bro? Why, what, what, what the crap? Yeah, what hey, the man, crap, look, Blake? When there's smarter people in the room than me, I just listen. I He's just the listen. best of the bunch, John. Nah, yeah. People look at me like I, I get the whole thing of the face of uh, the 3 to 7 project, you know, and all this. He's the best of the whole bunch. Yeah. Yeah. So... Chili, what about you? You got anything, man, before that we wrap it up? poorly of our papacy here, though. <laughs> no, Chili's, Chili's on his way. He's second best of the bunch. He, Chili has actually been my uh, been a very, very influential mentor to me mm. being in his early 20s. Wow. And here I am in my mid-30s, have had the career and the life experience that I've had but no matter how much experience you gain in life and no matter what you've done, 
there's still holes mm, yeah. that that you know, and the Lord has has put men around me that have helped fill those holes and and bring you know allow me to get to where I've got to today. And we're just getting started, man. Yeah. So crazy to think that a dude in his early twenties can enter into my life with the experience that I have and mentor me. Yeah. It's freaking wild, man. That's cool. Yep. That that's that is that's another that's a that's part of my testimony. Yeah. Like that's I, I don't even you know, you think of your testimony just as what happened years ago, but it's like, no, your your testimony is is being unfolded yeah. like throughout your entire life. It doesn't it really the story doesn't end until you die, you know? And then maybe it's just beginning. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that. I don't want to trample all over the compliment, although I am severely cognitively limited, so you have to be very careful taking any advice from me. But uh, no, I don't have anything to say other than if I don't get the chance. Thank you, John. Yeah, my pleasure, bro. Yeah. It's great to be yeah. here. Thank you for letting me sit in on this and listen to you. And John, please tell our listeners where, what, whatever you want, the website, where they can find the book, whatever the best place for them to get plugged in to what you're doing and to, to gain some experience from what you have to offer, man. Where do they go? Oh, warriorpoetsociety.com. Well, kind of, it's got everything there. So whether you're wanting to find us on social media or join our newsletter so you're with us, uh, find streaming service, train with us in person, or get a book or whatever, warriorpoetsociety.com is going to kind of be the hub that directs you wherever. So uh, if somebody wants to visit, check out our store, support us, whatever. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's it. Put the link in there, tech guy. Yeah. Two more questions for you, John. Um, can you and I film a head-to-head competition out on the range one day for YouTube? Yeah, sure. That'd be fun. I'm so pumped about it. Really? Look at the smirk on John's face. No, I am so pumped about that, man. He said, "Yeah, it'll be fun." (laughs) I I like I like shooting. I don't love shooting. I like shooting. It's my job, Um, and uh, and what? Yeah, less so now. Mm -hmm. I barely ever shoot anymore. I'm probably shoot once a month, Um, and so uh, and when I go out, it's because I'm like I should shoot. I should shoot, yeah. make sure I still know how to pull a trigger. And so of like, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be one to get real uh, up excited. I'm like, Oh, you're going to be, this is where I really need to, this is what I do. I'm like, man, uh, I, I talk into microphones a lot. Yeah. I lead meetings. I have business calls now. Well, why, <laughs> I, I mean, why I'm so excited about it is because I believe it will be next level entertainment. Oh, I think we could have a lot of fun. That's what I'm excited about. Good, because if you're down with, like, trolling each other and, no, 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 no. and cheating, I'm, I, I'm all about it. I think, I that's think so, it's going to be next-level entertainment when you and me get on the range and we get to get out and get physical and get in our element okay, well, and talk crap, and I think it's going to be next-level, dude. So we have something that uh, one of our trainers, our battle known Paul, uh, I developed something, and I'd love to be able to take you on it. It's called Blue Falcon 3-Gun. And the idea is, is we go into my firearm repertoire, and you choose three firearms from my collection that I have to shoot in competition. And then I choose three firearms from my collection that you have to shoot. And so 
we set up the three guns in whatever we know the stage. Then you set it up however you want, and then we run through the stage uh, for hit factor. That would be excellent. And so what the goal is is to blue falcon is to screw your buddy over um, by choosing the worst firearms to run a competition. <laughs> the epic. And so, the old freaking lever action or something. You know? High yeah, point. There, yeah. there, there is some awful stuff that, is that I have. And so dude. I already ran this with Paul, and like he had a he had a stage where he had to pick up and shoulder fire my Barrett 50 cal, and then he had one for me, which is this tiny little North American Arms 22. Oh, I've got one. Revol- yeah. That awful thing. And then <laughs> yeah. there's a Derringer that was in there, and then there was a – a beer can shooter, and so we had to shoot. That would be a I'm blast, shooting, dude. I'm shooting soda cans at these targets at this, and it was just a, it was a nightmare. This was a mess, uh, and so Blue Falcon three gun, perfect, uh, love it, it, man. It, it was highly competitive, and it was a goat rope. It was a disaster. All right, YouTube, it's 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 gonna happen. Give us some time. We'll get it on the schedule, but it's gonna happen. It's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be next level. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's going to the top, son. And uh, and then also, I would love again for for three or seven project to be able to come alongside the Warrior Poet Society at some point in the future and and do something together to pour into our communities and to bring our communities together yeah. uh, because I think it would just be extremely powerful. Well, so I'd, I'd love it if you and I could just get some lunch here and there because I mean like yeah. I'm, I'm a neighbor. It'd be real cool. Yeah, I know, you know man. I, I think you know I'm at the point where. I can just do business with whoever I want to. And yeah. uh, so I, I, you know, want those friendships and then kind of business always flows out of that. I'm kind of like, well, oh, well, let's turn on some cameras and we're hanging out anyway. Yeah, man. We'll, we'll just kind of roll that way. That That's pretty cool. That's real attractive to me. Um, but I would also love to attend some of your training events, so get into the woods and That'd be, awesome, uh, be a fly on the wall yeah. right there. That'd be real fun to just kind of see what you're doing and get a chance to, get out in the woods and, you know, pick up some skills that you've honed and I'm, I'm work, I'm, I'm weak on and learn some stuff and that'd be real fun. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm real attracted to doing that. So. Well, man, it was really, really cool to have you in the studio today. Great and to I can, I, I really want to genuinely thank you for your time. Thanks, man. It really means a lot to all of us. It really does, man. Uh, most famous guest ever. On the 307 podcast. I hate it. I, hate it. I don't like it. Chill, chili, throw me, a, throw me that bottle of Hoist. Guys, this episode is brought to you by our partner, Hoist. Drink Hoist. If you guys don't know, I drank Hoist for how many? How long did it take me to run that 250 miles? How many hours? 100 hours. 103. 103 hours I drank Hoist while running across the Arizona uh, what was that like? High mountain desert kind of stuff. <laughs> you can call it whatever. Everything you want. from 103 degree temperatures to uh, sub freezing temperatures across 10,000 foot peaks. I was drinking hoist for however long, many hours, running 250 miles, and it fueled me absolutely perfectly. Never got tired of drinking it. Never had a cramp, but cramps are for pusses, anyways, <laughs> and I don't get cramps because I drink hoist. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Amazing people, made in America, battlefield tested, warfighter approved, no preservatives, tastes awesome. So I know you guys on YouTube, I know you ain't going to run 250 miles because you ain't like me. And I told you in previous episodes, don't even try to be like me. But 
if you're out there working hard, sweating, striving for that personal excellence, like we talked about, part of that is fueling yourself properly and hydrating properly. So check them out at drinkhoist.com. Thank you, Hoist, for making this episode possible. That was a great plug. Can I have that, Hoist? I am very curious now. Yeah, take a swig of this. I'm in no danger to drive to, or I mean to run 250 miles. I don't even want to drive 250 miles. I don't recommend it. It was terrible. What flavor is that? Peach mango? Yeah, I think that's peach mango. Watermelon? Yeah, it's just, it's it's an amazing company. Black cherry, orange. And a great product, yeah. I, I smelled it right before I drank it, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to like this. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And when it you're really, good. like, so what that's made for, too, is when you're really out getting a sweat on. You So I sauna a lot. Do you sauna, John? I, I've just started doing okay. it more, so I'm probably saunaing once or twice a week after a morning workout. Okay. When you get that sweat on, man, I crave that hoist. Be- I guess I assume because of the sodium and stuff in it, right? Yeah, Chilly? I mean, it ain't a joke. You need to replace the electrolytes when, when you're in a sauna. That's good, yeah. man. Or, real yeah. good. you know, running so, for hours and losing a lot. So, yeah. They've been awesome. Oh, partner. check that water and, and cane sugar. It's real sugar. Yeah. Like, bravo. Way to go. This will be wife approved. I mean, Look, every, I, I, everything's I'll, poison and high fructose <laughs> corn syrup, but actual sugar. Yeah, that's why that's, we like that's it. That's good. No that, preservatives good either. Thing. Yeah. Now, if if you open right, that man, bottle, I, yeah. if you let let that bottle sit for uh, what, Blake? I let it sit in my range bag for like two weeks. I half drank one, and I went back out and cracked it open again, and it's molded in the bottom. Because there's no preservatives. Because it's, it's, no preser- it's real food. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That's great. Yes, real food breaks down. Yeah. So if your stuff stays good, if that McDonald's French fry looks the same after two years, you find it under your driver's seat. It's because it was never real food. Exactly. Real food breaks down. Yeah, exactly. So I, I was nervous when you said I saw it two weeks later and it was fine. I'm like, well, bro, that's not a good thing. <laughs> uh, so, no. And then you went the other way. I'm like, no, it went bad. I'm like, oh, yeah. it's real <laughs> food. It's real nourishment. That's it, that's man. Great. All right, guys. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Please go and follow John and his journey. Go check out his website. Go train with him, man. Get involved. He's an he's a, a awesome dude. And uh, truly, he cares. I think he shows that by way of his action and uh, the way that he lives his life. you got an amazing family. I love following Thanks, you on social media. And um, you guys do the same thing. Support uh, John and his efforts. And uh, we appreciate you guys for tuning in. We couldn't do anything without you guys who choose to, to tune in and be a part of the show Uh, comment, be a part of the conversation. You guys who share this show with other people, that's how this grows, right? We don't do any paid advertising on social media to push out this show and, 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 and tell people about it. This has grown over the course of five years by word of mouth, and that's it. And that's because of you guys. And I don't tell you guys that watch and contribute thank you. I don't tell you thank you enough. But I'm telling you right now, thank you. We appreciate it. We depend on you. And we'll keep showing up for you. Um, And all we ask is that you continue to support us in our efforts here at 307 Project. We love you guys. Catch you on the flip-flop. Enough said.